Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fly ball deep center. Back Bader, warning track, wall, gone to nothing Brewers. Number seven for Tyrone Taylor. Can we stop with this? Can we? Not? I, I don't want to listen to the opposing team's broadcast on the way back. Well, that you, audio courtesy of the Milwaukee Brewers TV network well, with you Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm sick of it, man. You did Miles this to Michaelis all. was good last night. I don't appreciate Tanner bringing us back with a home run that was hit against him. It's unnecessary. Miles Michaelis was tremendous. It's just the latest opportunity in which Miles Michaelis pitched a gym, gives up just the one home run, two earned runs on the night, and he gets the loss. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of Tanner picking on the guy, Alex. Well, this is your fault because you said yesterday that the Cardinals have the ideal pitching rotation set up against Milwaukee to win this series. The Cardinals said that. No, you said that. And the Great. Cardinals We're just three of four. The Cardinals just didn't know that you said that. Well, and the guy that will win that one out of the four will be Dakota Hudson. Yeah. So he's not a part of the ideal rotation. What happened last night, man? Tyrone Taylor happened. <laughs> if it couldn't have been anybody other than Tyrone Taylor, right? Not Christian Yelich, who Ken Rosenthal wrote the article about. Not Willie Adamas, who was their MVP last year. Nope. Tyrone Taylor was the one that beat you. I mean, what happened was Corbin Burns happened. And, like, I come out on the end of this two different ways. On one side, it was Corbin Burns. When you go up against a great pitcher, you're going to have outcomes like this. But on the other hand, the Cardinals offense, we've been sitting here talking about for the last month, believing in and saying that this is an offense that is set up to have success this season. They've got depth. They've got all of these weapons that we didn't know they were going to have. And every time you go up against Corbin Burns, you're blanked. And that's most of the league, to be fair. Like that that's kind of how he's been against just about everybody. Now he's been better as, specifically against you. Yeah, it's pretty ugly against the Cardinals. It'd be nice if they could score a run against Corbin <laughs> or Burns stop at some striking point. Striking out in double digits every time. Yeah, that that would be helpful. But this is now becoming a trend that needs to change. Miles Michaelis is five on five on the season this year, five and five as a starting pitcher. And yet among all qualified starters in Major League Baseball this year, he's 12th in the major leagues 
in ERA at 2.64 so far this year. He has a better ERA on the season than Zach Wheeler or Pablo Lopez or Carlos Rodon, Shane Bieber, Garrett Cole. He's better than all of them. And yet he's five and five on the season. Alex, we can go back through and look at some of the the missed opportunities that the Cardinals have had with him on the mound. April 25th. Let's go back to uh, the game that me and Tanner were at where we were watching from the press box. Michaelis was outstanding. Seven innings. Didn't give up a run. And then the ninth inning collapse happens. Gallegos doesn't cover first base. The Cardinals end oh, up losing five that to was two. A, that, that was game. a BKO in person. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was rough. Game. That could have gone better. That game. The next week, April 30th, Michaelis gives the Cardinals seven and a third innings. Two earned runs against the Diamondbacks. Ollie sticks with him after a home run. Stuck with him one batter too long. He ends up giving two, giving up two solo shots in the eighth inning. Cardinals lose two to nothing against the Diamondbacks in that one. Again, no offensive run support. June 9th, he goes eight innings in a game that Ollie Marmol said a week later, he thought that Michaelis was actually better in this start than he was in the start where he was one pitch away from getting a no-hitter. Eight innings, two earned runs. The only runs he allowed were on a two-run homer by G-Man Choi. That was it. That was enough for the Rays. Cardinals shut out in that one. They lose that game. And then there's yesterday, where he goes six and a third, gives up two earned runs. The only runs come off of that Tyrone Taylor two-run homer. Guys, they've got to give him more support. Like When he's on the mound, they've got to find a way to score runs in support of him. Otherwise, they're going to, they're going to waste... What is a tremendous, not Cy Young caliber, but Cy Young votes caliber season out of Miles Michaelis. He's pitching like he did back in, what was it, 2018, when he earned Cy Young votes that year. And it's just the competitive at-bats. I think the more frustrating part was just all of the strikeouts. And it's not like you had a ton of guys in scoring position. What did you have? 0 for 3 in runners in scoring position last night. Heck, you only had four guys left on base throughout that entire game. Corbin Burns. Yeah, but like you would start an inning off with a walk from Corbin Burns or the first guy would get on base and then it would be boom, 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 strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. That's and maybe, you know, we've talked about the Jeff Albert mindset. I'm not blaming Jeff Albert here, but like is is this what you're settled in for under this where, you know, you're looking for that first pitch. But after that first pitch, if your first pitch swinging and you miss it. Well, you're pretty much going to find yourself down in a hole like those competitive bats. That's, I guess, the frustrating part. of So it all. we got this text six, five, seven, eight. O's your comfort service text line from the three, one, four guys. The number of strikeouts that the Cardinals had last night and what they've had all year is all you need to know about their lack of offensive productivity. Because the Cardinals are really good at preventing strikeouts. That, that is not their issue. Now, it has been over the last couple of nights. This is a one off. This is going up against really, really good starting pitchers. On the season, there are only two teams in Major League Baseball that strike out at a lower rate. So they have fewer strikeouts on the year than the Cardinals. The Cardinals are better in terms of strikeout rate on the season than Boston, Toronto, the Padres, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the best offenses in baseball. Cardinals strike out less than all of them for the most part. So I that's not their issue. I'm, I'm not worried about that in a long-term sense. Although, obviously, last night when you're watching him get carved up against a dude and it's the second time that we've seen that in the last few weeks. Yeah, it's obviously frustrating to watch. Yeah, I didn't view that as a game where it was like, oh, man, how come the Cardinals just can't put the ball in play? I think that was just a game where it was tip your cap to Corbin Burns. He was just better. Now, with that being said, the Cardinals have to find a way to manufacture runs against Corbin Burns because 
as you said, they've wasted about four starts of Miles Michaelis this year. I mean, we're talking the office. He could easily be like eight and two this year. Instead, he's sitting at five and five. But part of that is because he's going up against good pitching. And then that's the case. Cardinals just have to find ways to manufacture runs. It's a lot easier said than it is done, especially when you go up against the Corbin Burns, the Max Scherzers, honestly, Merrill Kelly in Arizona, I think was Jose one of those. Barrios, Barrios, Shane McClanahan. Like, he's gone up against some really good starters this year. So it, it's just one of those where it's tough for the Cardinals to manufacture those runs, but Michaelis is giving them a fighting chance. And that's all you ask for for Miles Michaelis. I get it. We're saying that they're wasting a handful of his starts because he's going seven innings, eight innings against Tampa Bay, complete game. He ends up getting a loss. But the Cardinals just have to find ways to manufacture runs. And Miles Michaelis continues to give you a fighting chance. I took that as more of a positive in terms of just how Miles Michaelis continues to pitch this year. As I view Miles Michaelis, and I get it, we're a ways away from the postseason still. But the way he's pitching right now, him going into a playoff series, you'd feel really good because every game that he pitches, you know you've got a fighting chance. Same with Adam Wainwright. You've got a fighting chance with two guys. It just comes down to, and you're going to see quality pitching as the season continues to go along finding a way to manufacture runs again last night tip your cap burns was just awesome but there are some times where it feels like the cardinals miss up on opportunities against good quality pitching problem is i just don't want to keep going through this season and when you go up against the high level pitching and just keep saying well i gotta tip my cap to him so that that is something that i did want to ask you guys because i mean we've seen this recently right so you go up against corbin burns you get shut out you go up against pavetta you score four runs but you lose the game you go up against uh in that red series you saw some really high quality pitching at times and if not for the reds defense just being atrocious you probably would have struggled more than you did there you go up against mcclanahan you're only able to get the one run there you go up against uh burns the last time around shut out this does seem to be a bit of a trend. Now, again, I, I am always of the belief good pitching tends to beat good heading. Uh, that's the way that it works. In the NFL, it's good offense, good quarterback play. There is no defense for it. It's impossible. The, the perfect pass is impossible to defend. When you get into the playoffs and we know who's going to be there, it's going to be the Mets with Scherzer on the mound against you or with DeGrom at that point on the mound against you. You're going to go up against the Dodgers. And at that point in time, you expect Walker Bueller to be back. You're going to go up against the Padres and their tremendous pitching staff overall. The Brewers. Is there any concern at all that when you go up against these high level pitchers, the Cardinals have struggled at times to even manufacture their runs despite the fact that they are a really good base running team well yeah if the aspirations are for a world series it absolutely is a concern like uh, as much as you have to tip your cap as t-bone said to these guys and rightfully so corbin birds i mean he's a Cy young caliber pitcher but it's also a guy that played the padres a few starts ago and gave up five earned runs i mean it's not like this guy is unhittable and you can't get runs off of him McClanahan, yeah, the guy has been great for Tampa Bay this season. But how often are we going to sit here and say, well, you just couldn't beat that type of good pitching? You're not going to advance far in the playoffs if you don't have hitters who can hit these types of pitchers. You can beat up on the middle-level pitching all you want, but if you're not hitting this level, well, then the World Series aspirations aren't going anywhere for you. I'm a little concerned about it. Not, I'm not going to hit the panic button, but... I view it more as a more of an encouraging sign seeing that you have pitching that can match a quality start against a Corbin Burns oh, because you mentioned an optimistic it. life. Well, well th- yeah, I want to live longer, but also, but BK mentioned, you know, in the playoffs, these are the kind of games you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of these low scoring where it's basically one mistake is the difference maker. Burns did not make any mistakes last night. Josh Hader, Devin Williams did not make really mistakes last but night. But don't you have to force them to make mistakes? No, I mean, if they're a gonna, good if, team, I mean, you, the best you can do is probably just 
try and get a piece of the ball and hope that you get one of those like blue pits. Honestly, I, the hope is you get you get their starter out of the game yeah. before the, the eighth inning. And because if you do count. that, now you don't have to worry about only seeing the back end of their bullpen. Now you can get to the underbelly of it. And that just requires making them work harder. And last night they didn't make Corbin Burns work hard enough, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. But but I, I also just view it, I would rather, if my pitching can match their pitching, you have a fighting chance in a game like that last night. You had a fighting chance. That's all it comes down to in the playoffs. I know people don't want to hear that, but if you have a fighting chance and you just need one mistake to occur, I mean, you look at that wild card game against the Dodgers. Reyes made one mistake, and it was the end of the series or the season for the St. Louis Cardinals. They were one mistake away from potentially just taking a lead on the Dodgers in that wild card game. Last night, they're one mistake away. I agree they probably should have made Burns work a little bit harder, but he was just on a different level Absolutely. last night. I, I can't say, well, the Cardinals got to work harder and they get Burns out of that game. I mean, let's be honest, no matter who was playing Burns last night, whether it was the loaded Dodgers lineup or anybody else in the MLB, they were not going to hit Corbin Burns last night. 65780 is your cover service text line from the 618. Guys, when you face good pitching, the home run or nothing mentality is what's killing the Cardinals. Look who it ends up burning. It was Yepes and Donovan last night that ended up getting quality at-bats. Contact hitters, good pitching. You can't settle on a pitch to slug. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this. How many players in their lineup have a home run or bust mentality right now. I don't think Goldie has that. I don't think Donovan has that. I don't think Yepes has that. Gorman, maybe. Edmund doesn't. I don't think Arenado has it. I don't think Bader has it right now. He's batting, by the way, 270 on the season at this point in time. He does have some strikeout. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's there. Carlson's not that guy. It's basically their entire lineup. Like I, I, I think that some of the things that get applied to this current lineup are just us thinking about what it's been in recent years and the guys that were previously part of this offense. I don't think it's fair to be critical of Goldie, Edmund, Arenado, Bader, Carlson, because in previous years, there were other guys in those spots in the lineup that struck out a ton. That's not who this lineup is. Last night, it looked really ugly, and they've got to be better in those games against these types of pitchers. I'm in full agreement there. But unless this is something that for the rest of the season continues to be a trend, it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly what it is that's an issue for them right now. I I don't view this lineup and say to myself, oh, they're trying to swing for the fences at all times. It's just it's not that's not true. No, I, I don't. I'm with you there. Like they're not a, they're not the Yankees in terms of guys who are going up there and looking for the home run ball. Maybe they should try that more often. I mean, the Yankees seem to be, seem to be doing it pretty well, but. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like it's just and I don't know how to explain it, but it's just about those competitive at bats where you are trying to get Corbin birds out of it. And if you're going the first pitch swinging, well, if you don't make contact there, you're already behind an eight ball and it's not working for but he them. throws and exclusively strikes anyway. So even if you're not swinging, like it's going in for a strike. I get it. So you I got just, that 96 mile an hour curveball or excuse me, uh, cutter about to saw off your bat like whether you're swinging at it or not it's gonna be an uncomfortable at bat and it's going into the strike zone I, I i understand it and that's the types of pitchers but again these are the types of pitchers that not only are beating the cardinals but they're they're turning the offense into nothing and if that's the case well you're gonna have a rude awakening once you get towards the end of the season into the playoffs and i understand the mentality t-bone of anything can happen but I don't want to play that every single year. I want I, to get guys who can beat these types of pitchers. I get it, but I like 
a game like that from Burns, a lot of offenses aren't going to do much against it. Playoffs, regular season, it's more encouraging to me that your pitching can keep you in that game than it is that the offense struggled. And look, now there's going to be games where someone can go out there and throw seven innings, and I'm going to be like, Burns could have a seven-inning outing, but the Cardinals have traffic on base, and then they don't capitalize. That's a different animal, in my opinion, because then you're stranding runners on. You had opportunities. Last night, I mean, Burns was just different level. And to the home run point from BK, I, I'm with you. There's not, I don't think there's really, Gorman maybe, but I don't even view him as a guy that's basically home run or bust. And you look at the Cardinals, everybody that's been on this team this year, there's only four guys with five plus home runs. And two of those guys are Goldie and Arnado, and they're the only ones in double figures. So this is not a power hitting team by any means. It's not like they're home run and bust like a Joey Gallo type. So that's not, that's not the problem for the Cardinals offense. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic. He just posted a piece over at The Athletic called Blues Offseason Roster Decisions. Who stays and who goes? We'll get some updates from JR on who he expects to be back and who he thinks is up in the air. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, we do have an update on the current All-Star voting. We'll give you that on the other side. Which Cardinals would currently be leading at their respective positions? Might be fewer than you expected. We'll do that on the other side. And did Johan Oviedo do enough to earn more opportunities in a relief opportunity? We'll talk about that next year on 101. On ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. We got our first update on the all-star game player voting. These are going to continue for the next few weeks. Should we do a lineup game for the all-star <laughs> voters? Let's actually try that for for the National League. You get the lineup game? Make sure you've got up what the <laughs> rosters could be, just so that way we don't go crazy Someone's here. going to get mad about this. Uh, the American League, here's what we've got so far. Um, these are the, the leading vote getters at each respective position. So the Blue Jays have four guys already as part of the starting roster. Alejandro Kirk is the catcher. Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first base. Bo Bichette at shortstop. And then in the outfield, they've got George Springer, who's having a really good season so far for them. Uh, elsewhere, you've got Jose Altuve at second base. Rafael Devers at third. Uh, Aaron Judge is starting in the outfield for the American League. Mike Trout, that guy's pretty good, starting in the outfield as well. And Jordan Alvarez, who signed the biggest contract in major league history for a dh uh is up there as well let's get into the national oh, league this is exciting you ready let's tanner oh do we want the actual well, well, let's actually do <laughs> it tanner on, i don't need you to Sorry. say let's do it <laughs> Sorry, i didn't know you know all right, this is a, this he doesn't is have it. No, he doesn't have it. You're I asked if he was ready. Enough. He didn't <laughs> he have it. No, yes. Yeah. Anytime T Bone just turns <laughs> his mic on. Ready. Anytime T Bone turns <laughs> his mic on. There we go. When you ask him if we're ready, and T Bone just goes, "Yes." He National League All Star Game. Way too early lineup game. <laughs> All right. Let's, Let's start, start with catcher Wilson Contreras. Do you have it in front of you? I do. Okay, so I'm just guessing this. Are you? Do you have a two T bone? No. Okay, so you could be with me. This one, you know, yes is here, no is here. Whoa! I'll never get it wrong. Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, he's got to be in the lineup. Got to be there. All right, this is where it gets difficult. Second base, second base. Didn't you Col- say Cronenworth was leading uh, earlier this week? I, thought I saw there, there have been no updates yet, so I don't know how you would know that. Yeah, I think I just saw somebody <laughs> projected him to be the second base 
Because Colton Wong has been hurt an awful lot this season. Yeah, and I can't think of anybody else that'd be up there. And by the way, base. Edmund is listed at shortstop. Is Cattell Marte players. playing a lot of second base, or is he outfield with Arizona? He's in the outfield. Is he? Actually, he might be at second base. All right, well, let's. My but he's gut, not, he hadn't been playing well. My gut tells me CJ Cronenworth, but I don't know of anybody well, it's else. Jake, but. Oh, is it? Yeah. Who's CJ Cronenworth? Who's CJ Cronenworth? I'm going to have to look this one up. Let's go with Jake Cronenworth. So is it Cattell Marte? CJ Cronenworth is with the Pirates. Oh, no. CJ's with the freaking Padres. No, it is Jake Cronenworth. This is awkward. Cattell Marte is eligible at second base, but he is not the guy. Okay, so... I'm kind of out. Is it Colton Young Wong? player. Oh. Plays down in the southeast. Oh, oh Jazz Chisholm. Chisholm. How do we not oh, think of that one? Idiots. At third base, he's an MVP candidate. This is Manny I Machado. Would, yeah, this got to be Machado. Shortstops, Trey Turner. All right, left field. It's just outfielders, so you oh, don't have just to go outfielders. by positions. I bet Betts is leading. He's having an MVP Yeah, here. Betts. Um, Bryce Harper is going to be a DH, so he's not the outfield. He's your DH. Is there anybody with the Actually Mets? done a good job on this so far. Is there anybody on the Mets? There are zero Mets represented on this <laughs> first All Star ballot. How about that? It. Oh, Juan Soto. He's got to oh, be up yeah, there. Yeah, Juan Soto. Nope. Not All right, part of this. Yeah. Right, you're not allowed to contribute anymore. I'm trying to think who uh, else has been playing well in the out. No other card. So one of them recently came back and has been playing at an MVP level since. Mary said bets, right? <laughs> recently returned. That was your hint. Oh, oh uh, Cunha Jr. Boom, boom, boom. Idiots. Uh, and then one more. You're not going to get this one because I'm actually pretty surprised that he is on this list. Oh, yeah, list. name the team yeah. and I can get What's it. What's the Giants. team? Mike Yastrzemski. Nope. Carl Yastrzemski. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite <laughs> impressive. Jack Peterson. Yep. Jack Peterson wow. is your last outfielder. So How is Jack Peterson I, on this list? I don't know, man. I don't understand it either. So your catcher is Wilson Contreras. First base right now is Paul Goldschmidt. He's the only Cardinal currently in the starting lineup for the National League. That is crazy oh. to me. CJ Crone is what the ain't. There the you Rockies. go. That's who you're looking for. Second base, Jazz Chisholm. Uh, third base is Manny Machado. Shortstop is Trey Turner. And the outfield, you've got Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Jock Peterson. And then at DH is Bryce Harper. How is Juan Soto not on that? Uh, it's pretty shocking to me as well. I don't totally understand Probably it. going he under is, the radar. He has not had a great yeah. offensive season. Yeah, but for I mean, fans voting, you're always going to vote for the stars, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm a little surprised by it as well. I, the one that really surprises me is Jock Peterson. Oh, maybe CJ Cronenworth will get in. <laughs> is he even a? He's not even like a regular, right? Yeah, Jock. I mean, he's he's playing exclusively against right-handed so pitchers. I guess that basically, helps him, how is he not a DH? He's playing in the outfield for him. I don't know, man. Maybe a lot of San Francisco fans voting. Any surprise these days? that it's only one Cardinal currently represented? Uh, no, not really. Because I think you're going to get Tommy Edmond as a bench player. You'll probably get Nolan Arenado as a bench player because Manny Machado's hurt. I think Tommy Edmond deserves it more right now than uh, Hot Take Trey Turner. I think I think. I can kind yeah, of agree, agree with that, that, but I think it's just the star power. I mean, Trey Turner's been doing it And it's it for probably the amount of, of games that he hasn't played at shortstop. I think that probably plays into this. And a lot the, of people don't know he's a shortstop. There was a piece yesterday in the New York Post. We're not going to get into this here, but I, I do think eventually, and I know you guys disagree with this, and that's fine, but I think eventually we're going to have to get into a place with how many players are playing all over right now, and there's like the Swiss Army Knives. They're basically, you have a Ben Zobris for every team. I, I think they're going to need to add in a utility spot where maybe it's like a a catch-all for guys like Tommy Edmond, or you look elsewhere, like Jeff McNeil plays all over the field right now for the New York Mets. 
DJ LeMahieu for the Yankees has played all over this season. Those types of players have crazy high value for these teams. And I think it would be good to have a guy that gets voted in as a quote unquote starter as a utility player for them. Uh, and I think that's something that they should implement in future years. I think Ryan Helsley will be in too, one of the pitchers. Probably. He'll, he'll definitely get in. They'll get a bunch of guys on the roster. They just yeah. won't be start, technically listed as starters for the team. Does Nolan Arenado get it if since Manny Machado can't play? Like, is he the second-best third baseman right now in the National League? I would think so. So, I mean, he would probably get that start if Manny's not playing. Yeah, I, I would think he'll probably get in. Yeah, I can't He'll definitely mean. get in. I, I would think he'll probably get the start if Manny Machado was not able to play at that point in time. Because uh, the other guy that would typically battle for that is like a Justin Turner. He's been terrible oh, wait, this year. Austin Riley. Austin Riley's yeah, been Austin very Riley's good been a stud. Uh, but they're they're pretty similar in terms of their numbers, and Arenado's been so much better defensively that I think he'll probably get the nod. Yeah. Before we get to Jeremy Rutherford on the other side, Johan Oviedo certainly is not going to make an all-star team this year, but he did look pretty good last night. Uh, I got to give credit to him, man. His stuff played up coming out of the bullpen. Instead of sitting 94-95 as a starter, he was closer to 96-97. That helped him a lot. He did get hit hard a couple of times. He needed good defense behind him to be able to get through that unscathed. I liked what we saw, though. It was a heck of a lot better than what we've seen so far for most of their other right-handed options coming out of the bullpen. I, I think that he's deserving of more opportunities in those spots. And I'm really curious to find out how he responds as well, because this is one of the big questions we just don't know. As a starter, you go every fifth day, you know what the routine looks like. He's never really been in this spot before where he could potentially have to go back out there today or tomorrow. How does his arm, how does his shoulder respond to those? That's my big question about him, but... Man, his stuff plays coming out of the bullpen. It reminds me a little bit of the transition. I told Tanner before the show today that I've got a comparison for him. I think he's a little bit of a right-handed version of Hennessy Cabrera, where Cabrera did not have any command. He was previously a starter. The Cardinals trade for him, and they're like, you know what? We think he's a bullpen arm for us. And he's been really good for them, although kind of effectively wild at times coming out of the pen. You could see something like that from Johan Oviedo as his stuff starts to play up a little bit more coming out of the bullpen. I think that's the what they would hope he becomes. I mean, he's definitely got the command and in, in when he's not the starter coming out of the bullpen. He's got the stuff for it. I, I just think it comes down to not having Johan Oviedo go that second time through the order. That That's what seemed to always kill him when he was making those starts. So if you're using him for one, two innings, I, it's not making me as stressed as I was originally with Johan Oviedo and the idea out of the bullpen. Yeah, see, I, I I like the idea and I like the comp for Cabrera because he, he does remind me a little bit of it now that you mention that because I completely forgot Cabrera came up as a starter. Uh, so I could see that as what they hope he becomes. I, I'm still a little skeptical. I like what I saw, though, last night, playing up with the Velo, as you mentioned, had command. And look, I get it. He got saved by some good defensive plays. But, I mean, as long as you allow the defense to play behind you, yeah, that's, just that's the whole guys. point of it. Just don't yeah. walk them. And, and don't give up the long ball as well. And that's yep. what's really uh, hampered Drew Verhagen. He's walked guys, and he's given up the home run ball at an unbelievable rate. If Oviedo just continues to pound the strike zone, then, yeah, I think he could take this role on that right-handed uh, as that right-handed middle relief guy. And if you can, then the better, better off this team is because then you don't have to worry about adding – Maybe it's two bullpen arms at the trade deadline, and you can just focus on one, or maybe you don't even have to worry about that at the trade deadline when it comes to it. Especially if Jordan Hicks comes back and he ends up being healthy. I, I know we didn't really see it here in St. Louis uh, with Cabrera very often, but I mean, his first year in St. Louis was 2019 uh, as a full-time guy. He, he was here that year, and in AAA, he had a 5.9 ERA as a starting pitcher. He was not effective as a starter. He was walking a bunch of dudes. He was striking a bunch of guys out, so you could see that the stuff was clearly there, but he just 
he wasn't ready at that point in time. The year before, through 140 innings, had like a 4-2 ERA. And then while he was with uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, he was around a 4 ERA most of his minor league career. So he did not look like he had this crazy upside as a as a starter. They put him into the bullpen, and now we've seen what the results have been. Uh, you hope that you could get something similar out of Johan Oviedo if he ends up making that transition. Because I don't think he has a, star- has a starter future here in St. Louis. I think... I think that I can put to the side at this point. And if he just becomes a contributing reliever, that's a win. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. Jeremy Rutherford joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to dive into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys have any questions for us. But right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Lines with some questions of our own for our guy Jeremy Rutherford. JR, how you doing today, man? Doing swell, guys. How you guys doing? Doing fantastic. So you just posted a piece up on The Athletic. Who stays and who goes? The Blues offseason roster decisions. It's People should go over and read it. They should definitely click. They should definitely subscribe. It's pretty much what I would have anticipated, JR, in terms of who would be back and who won't be. The guy that I want to hone in on, if you don't mind, is Marco Scandella. Uh, And you wrote that it's not to imply that the Blues are receiving offers for him, but he's in the category because if he's uh, somebody that ends up becoming interested in trade conversations, you got to at least consider it. JR, we talked about this a little bit the other day. I I would assume the answer is no, but do you think that there's any chance the Blues would consider a buyout with Marco Scandella? No, I don't think so. And and I think that's uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, I think that uh, the Blues, since Doug Armstrong took over, have not been a team that have really considered buyouts. And, you know, he's put himself in good position with a lot of good contracts. Uh, The ones that haven't been good contracts, you look at Yori Laterra and a few others, uh, Doug Armstrong has been able to move. But I think, you know, as much as we criticize Marco Scandella, and I've been a part of that, and, you know, his salary at $3 million plus is, is not ideal. Uh, but I think he can contribute to this team if he's put in the right spot, which is that third pair and penalty kill. And so if you have a situation, BK, where you look at the contract and you look at the production and you say, this just no longer makes sense for us, maybe you consider that. But with Doug Armstrong's history with the lack of buyouts, and I think with this not being a slam dunk that he's a buyout candidate, I, I just don't see it. The other one, Jared, on this list, and again, I don't want to spoil it, but it shouldn't be much of a surprise to people, was Vladimir Tarasenko, that in your piece you said, like, if the phone rings, you're going to answer it. Have you heard anything about the phones potentially ringing or if Vladimir even wants those phones to ring? Yeah, no, I haven't. That's a situation I think that's going to play out here in the the next few weeks leading up to the uh, start of free agency. Obviously, Doug Armstrong probably has a really good handle on on what the situation is. He does keep that close to the vest. I try to be as honest with you guys as possible. You know, we've had some news on that in the past, but it isn't always uh, forthcoming. And so with Vladimir Tarasenko, I put him in that category in this article, as you mentioned, Alex, of uh, you have to listen. And and that's not saying that you're going to trade him, and that's not saying you want to trade him. Uh, but I think it's a situation where, 
you know, his contract is one more year, and Doug Armstrong has held on to some players if he believes the championship window is open and they can help the team win, even if they're going to head into free agency and not get any compensation in return. Doug Armstrong has done that in the past. He's also uh, moved players because uh, he didn't think he was going to get them re-signed past that next year on their contract. So, you know, I think we've seen both sides of it, but the bottom line with Tarasenko to me is even if Doug Armstrong right now today thinks that I'm not going to trade Vladimir Tarasenko. The phone could ring tomorrow. Hey, this is what we're willing to offer, and I think you have to consider it. JR, you also had a recent piece or really questions for fans, and you mentioned earlier today on Twitter that you've had over 2,000 responses already, which is awesome. People should check this out. The Blues Fan Survey, a bunch of questions over there, just kind of gauging the, where, where fans are on the team right now. I wanted to ask you the final question that you had in this survey, JR. Which of these scenarios do you think is most likely to happen this offseason? Option one, they trade for Matthew Kachuk. Option two, they trade for Jacob Chikrin. Option three, they trade for Ivan Provorov. Or option four, all of Tarasenko, Perron, and Letty are re-signed this offseason. Yeah, first of all, before I answer the question, BK, you know, I've got to say I have gotten a lot of feedback from people in the past couple days, couple weeks about all the Matthew Kachuk headlines. And I get it. You know, when you talk about something for a couple of years, you know, it starts to wear on people, especially when it's something that might not happen. You know, I'm not here today to say that it's going to happen this summer or next summer, but I try to keep a pulse of that situation. And it is a, a situation that needs to be monitored. You know, again, May not happen, but you hear enough scuttlebutt talking to people around the league that there is talk that there could be interest on both sides. So we'll see what happens with that. You know, am I going to answer, you know, this question that you're asking today and say, I think Matthew Kachuk is going to happen this summer? You know, that's not the option that I would have picked. You know, I, I do think that Jacob Chickren is probably an option this summer, you know, heading into the draft free agency. Can Doug Armstrong? Uh, bring back those talks that uh, they possibly had with uh, Arizona last year and make something like that happen. You know, I do think that's a possibility. In reality, usually what happens is probably option C, and that's what the Blues have in front of them. You know, the opportunity to re-sign David Perron. He wants to come back. They want to bring him back. You know, I'm sure they can find a middle ground on that. You know, I don't know that Nick Letty is, is guaranteed to come back. You know, I think that could be a little bit too expensive uh, for the Blues' liking. But if I had to pick one of those three, uh, just knowing that how difficult a Kachuk thing would be, you know, not knowing exactly what Arizona wants for Chikrin, you know, I'd probably go with option C. Uh, on that line, JR, talking about the trades, another question that you had on the survey was talking about the number 23 overall pick that the Blues have in this upcoming draft. And I, I was uh, I was reading and I heard Elliot Friedman on Nashville radio. And then I was reading The Athletic earlier today. Uh, I believe it was the Pittsburgh writer doing a mailbag. And he said that talking to a couple of executives, they expect this draft to be very active in, ter- in terms of trade front. Do you have a pulse of Doug Armstrong if he's viewing this first round pick of, of a commodity of, you know what, we could trade this and get a big piece or because that minor league system is so depleted that they want to stick with just key, uh, selecting first round picks? Yeah, I think they have to be pretty happy with a couple of the prospects that they have in place. We're talking about Jake Neighbors, Alex, who could be on the roster this year. You're talking about Zach Bolduc, who had a terrific season in junior hockey. And, you know, we're not talking next year he's going to contribute, but he could be you know, ready uh, sooner than later. And then you look, you still have Scott Prunovich. Yeah, I, I realize he's up, what, 24 years old now, not necessarily that young prospect anymore. 
uh, Nico Mikula, you know, a little bit older, but still a guy who's up and coming. You know, I, I think that if the right trade came around, that's that's what's going to determine what they do with that pick. You know, if, if you know, I'm just using Kachuk as an example, Chikrin as an example. You know, if there's some sort of package deal where they can get somebody who's going to bolster that top four defense, or, or that they're going to swap a forward and bring in, you know, a franchise type player like Matthew Kachuk then I could easily see that first round pick being involved in a trade, you know, maybe Scandella is in there, maybe Barbashev's in there. So to me, the only reason you'd be trading that is is two, twofold one a package deal like that, or like we've seen the blues in the past, you know, they've swapped first round picks or moved down in the draft if the player's not there that they want. So, you know, lots, lots of things could happen with that pick. And, and by the way, guys, thanks for bringing up the survey. Yeah. 2000 people have responded so far trying to get to 3,000, and I do have access to the uh, early results. Obviously, I'll write an article in a couple of days that spells out the results uh, for everybody, but a lot of intriguing responses so far. Uh, you know, I'll just give you a sneak peek. Uh, pretty split even on the Vladimir Tarasenko question. Do you hmm. trade them? Do you keep them? You know, I, I looked at the results just a little bit ago, and you're running uh, close to 50-50 there. Also, I thought it was interesting, guys. Uh, do you, would you consider trading Jordan Bennington and making Billy Huso your starter? I thought there'd be more support uh, for for Billy Huso. Not saying that that response would win, uh, but you're running at about 80 or 85 percent uh, support of Jordan Bennington coming back as as the starter. So just a sneak peek at the results, and we'll have all those results in a couple of days. On that goaltender topic, Jr. We talked to Charlie Lindgren on Friday, and I mean we were impressed with him. The guy seems. Uh, so gung-ho about St. Louis in a short time here, and of course now with Springfield Golden for going for the Calder Trophy. Does that seem like the most likely outcome of a backup goaltender if it's not Vili Husso? It, it does uh, to me, and by the way, uh, yeah, the response uh, for that one, you know, I said, uh, do you give me some Chucky sideburns or <laughs> no, he's too inexperienced, inex- and, and people overwhelmingly, yeah, give me some Chucky sideburns. <laughs> you know, it seems... <laughs> It seems it seems too convenient. It seems too, uh, you know, something that the fans want. That uh, you know, perhaps we don't see Doug Armstrong go down that that path. I mean, you, you do need to get you know twenty five, thirty games out of that guy. You know, you do need somebody to push Jordan Bennington, like we saw with Billy Huso pushing Jordan Bennington. Can uh, Charlie Lindgren be that guy? You know, I think he potentially could be. Look look at this run he's had this year. So. By the way, great uh, interview. So I would be very intrigued uh, to see Charlie Lindgren as the backup next year if what happens, uh, we assume what will happen with Billy Husso is he'll leave in free agency. So we'll see. But uh, definitely the fans want it, Alex. Final question that I've got for JR. Uh, find his work over at The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, if I told you right now, one of the impending free agents next year, so we're talking O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Ivan Barbashev, those types of guys, one of them ends up re-signing this season, or this this offseason, rather. Who do you think it is? I guess you can include the RFAs, too, for next year, the Jordan Kyrou's, Robert Thomas. Who do you think is most likely to sign an extension with the Blues this offseason? If I had to guess today, I'd say O'Reilly. It just seems like a, a slam dunk. They want to keep him as the captain. They want to keep him as part of the fiber of the organization. You know, I think that uh, you know whether you can get him for... Uh, two years, or you take the plunge a little bit and go three years. I think that's most likely. Like if if you were crossing the bridge with Tarasenko to say, okay, we need to figure out what the future is with this player. I mean, you might have to get to a point, BK, where you say, look, if we're going to hang on to you and not trade you when your value is really high right now, we need to get an extension. You know, perhaps that could be a situation. You know, that they explore. So 
you know, I, I wouldn't keep him out of the conversation, but to me, it'd be uh, O'Reilly. And, and with Barbashev, I think, you know, I expect him to be, to be back, and I listed him in that category in my article that just went up. Uh, but you have to consider the fact that uh, his stock is really high right now, and he's going to jump in salary. Like, he's not coming back for $2.2 million after next year after having a 60-point season. So do you trade him while it's high? So I wouldn't expect an ex- extension with him unless the Blues were willing to uh, meet the price that I think is going to be probably more than – than they want to pay. Do you think the O'Reilly price would be around what Shin is making right now? I I don't think so. Um, and it, you know, it very well could be at the end of the day. But I tend to lean, and, and you know, I've been a little criticized for this. Is when you're talking about re-signing guys like Perron and O'Reilly, yes, their value is in that six, six, five, seven million dollar range. But with O'Reilly, especially, you're talking about a guy, you know, thirty-one by the time he starts the contract he's, he's 32 he would probably want some term he'd probably want to stay in st louis and i just don't think the blues at that point would be interested in paying you know six five i i think that o'reilly if he wants to stay just like perron i think it's going to be a situation where you're talking you know five five and a half somewhere in there wow yeah, that'd mean, be you, a steal if, yeah, the blues if you, got if you can do that i let's let's get it done where do we sign yeah. <laughs> where do i sign the dotted yeah, line and, I see what you're and saying, you're right. though, JR. I mean, yeah. there's risk. The, the team's taking on risk with that age. And how much, JR, do you think a no-movement clause is going to play into Ryan O'Reilly? Well, it could, and, and perhaps Doug Armstrong budges on that, especially with a guy uh, like, like O'Reilly. But I, I do want to emphasize, you know, people say, how do you get Ryan O'Reilly for five, five and a half? Listen, it's all about the term. If Ryan O'Reilly is going to be 32 when he starts this deal, and it's a four-year deal that's taken him to 36 – you know, they're not paying $7 million when the cap's not going up that much. You're talking about a million dollars next year, and I realize we're talking a couple years down the road, uh, but I'm just saying if you have a player like O'Reilly, you want to keep him, he wants to stay, he wants the four years, you know, I, I just don't see them uh, paying that type of money like we're talking about with the $7 million or, or even six five with Shen. So we'll see. I could be wrong. I've been estimating a little bit low on some of these contract resigns, and, you know, maybe uh, Perron wants a little bit more than – then we're you know, led to believe a little bit. But I, I just think that uh, the opportunity, if these guys want to stay on term, uh, it's going to be a little bit less. He's Jeremy Rutherford. Find his fantastic work. There's nobody covering the Blues better over at The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. Jer, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. Yep, thanks, boys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. I'm sure there's a lot of questions about what he just said there about the Ryan O'Reilly potential extension. We should answer them. We'll get into that on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Arrow Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, there's no way Ryan O'Reilly signs for under $6 million per year. Bergeron is four years older than O'Reilly and still is producing at a really high level. That's more in line with what Ryan O'Reilly would be looking for. So I looked this up, Alex. There's a there's a contract that I would comp for Ryan O'Reilly. Now, I think O'Reilly's a better player than this guy, but it's similar in terms of timing when they signed the deal production offensively at least and what you're expecting from them as they get further into those deals it's Alex Dean 
Alex Dean, before the 2017 season, he had a contract that kicked in that was for four years, $5.75 million per season. If I was to guess, if the Blues were to go to Ryan O'Reilly, what he would be looking for, it's probably probably north of this, but might settle for four years, $6 million, somewhere around that range. If that ended up being where the two parties settled, Alex, would you be happy with that as a Blues fan? Four years, $6 million per year, starting in his age 32 season. How would you not be happy with it? I mean, that's an incredible deal for a team to to get a player like that. And by the way, to make the comp to Patrice Bergeron, uh, Patrice Bergeron signed a eight-year deal worth 6.875 mil back when he was 28 years old. So different circumstances right now because... Bergeron signed that three years ago if you were Ryan O'Reilly. And that's a hell of a deal for Ryan O'Reilly if you would have signed him to it at the time. It's also a different cap. We've got to take that, that into account as exactly. well when he signed it. So, so yeah, it's if, gone you, up now. if you're going to sign O'Reilly to that, I, I mean, I would sign up for that immediately and be thrilled about it. I think you could get him cheaper than that, though. I think if he wants term and you want to basically solidify him being on this team moving forward, I think you could get him for five years, five and a half mil or six years at five mil. I think you could do something like that with Ryan O'Reilly. It might not I be. Don't, I don't. I, for what it's worth, would not give him six years. I, I, I understand that. And for some people, I think they would agree with you because it's not going to be pretty on the back end. You don't want to be paying somebody five mil. And you're already right now looking at Braden Shin at the back end of his deal around that time. You've got long-term deals for other guys right now that are going to take them into their later 30s. Understandably Sod. so, but you signed Shin into a, this deal into his late 30s because you knew the type of player he would be at the end of his career, you could say the exact same thing about Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly will be a defensive-minded forward. He will be a guy that stays healthy and will be a guy who could do the penalty kill and win face-offs. And to me, $5 million at 36 years old, I think that is, that's still a good deal for a player like that. 65780 is the error comfort service text line from the 636. Uh, guys, how do you three stay cool in this weather other than just the AC? Is there oh. anything that you guys do to stay cool, sit especially while you're my, outside? Sit in front of my smart house, heating and air, heating and air conditioning the mini split unit in, here, in my uh, basement. Not a baby big deal. Uh, I, I mean, we bought a house that had an above ground pool in our backyard, so that's part of it. Other than that, honestly... When it's this hot out, outside, I pref- yeah, no, don't I, that. yeah, I was say I prefer not to go outside. Close <laughs> I, the blinds, it's I, dark. Don't I worry stay about in it. my, I, I, no joke, I stay in my house with my daughter when it's this hot out because it's just it's ruthless out there. You can't go out there and have fun. You can't let her go run around in this because it's like you got to go in five minutes later. Tanner, did you say earlier this morning that you tried going on a run yesterday? No, what I was oh, going to do is I forgot to do it this morning, so I'm dreading doing it this afternoon. I told you, man, do it when the sun goes down. It's nice out. Last I, night at like eight o'clock, it was perfect. That's the problem is you got to wait so long now. Like it, it's a good thing. I'm I'm happy to have the sunlight later end of the day, but it just takes so long. That it's like nine o'clock and you're just starting to yeah, get ready to I, go out on your your run. I looked at the like hour by hour breakdown. I was like, okay, maybe it'll be like you know high eighties. I, I looked, today. it was like ninety seven at like three o'clock, and I'm just like, you got to be kidding gonna be me. worse. No, it's going to be brutal. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be 92 degrees tonight at 830. I can't even even, like go cool down in the pool in my backyard because the thing's like a freaking bathtub right now. Yeah, the sun's beating down on it. It's awful. I so I stay in the basement. I go on runs at this time of the year, and I just hope to God that I get back. That's it. I'm like a troll. I just sit in the basement in the dark. I I may not make it today. 
Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. If you've got a scenario that you want us to bet or forget, we'll get into that coming up at 1215. 65780 is the place to send them. But next, big start today for Jack Flaherty. He's got two more starts to get this thing figured out before we start asking some more serious questions. We're not there yet. Today's the start of, though, trying to figure this thing out for Jack. We'll tell you why next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Jack Flaherty making a big start today, not just for him, but for the Cardinals. They need Jack Flaherty to get back to form because if they don't have him, they're going to need to go find somebody else that can give him a legit frontline starter. And I think he'll get there, Alex. I, the first start was weird. You had the couple errors defensively, one by him. You had soft contacts that just happened to get through. It was just start to finish a strange game for the Cardinals and for Jack Flaherty. He's going up against what is a less than great offense in Milwaukee tonight. He, his next start that he's going to have is expected to be against the Chicago Cubs. Again, not a great team offensively, and that'll be in St. Louis. So you don't have to worry about it being a day game in Chicago at Wrigley. The, the flags are flying out and you, you never know what it's going to look like there. Those should be, two pretty good places to be able to pitch for him. And that's where for me, my patience kind of runs thin a little bit in these next two starts. He should be done with all of his pitch count limits. He should be back to being Jack. If he is going to be back to getting to be Jack Flaherty, because after that you're going to see him against Philly. And then you're going to either see him against Atlanta or Philly. And then you're probably going to see him against the Dodgers. It gets real tough, real quick for Jack Flaherty when it comes to who he's going up against. The Cardinals need him. This is a huge start for him. And earlier today, Mike Claiborne was on with Carriker and Smallman. Here's what he said he expects from Flaherty tonight. I'm looking for Jack to go at least six, maybe seven. I, I think he needs to make a statement that, you know, everybody thinks I'm an I'm a ace or a potential ace. I need to go out and prove it against a good team. And, and Milwaukee isn't that good offensively. But I think you have to make a statement that I'm here and I'm going to be a guy that you can look to to get seven. And then we'll figure out the rest. But I, I think now that the nerves are behind him, at least we think they are, then I look for him to come out and start dealing like I think we expect him to. Yeah, for me, it's kind of a progression of Jack Flaherty. Like that first one, I didn't expect much in. This one, I mean, the main reason why Flaherty struggled in that one was because he said, what, he was too hyped up in the game or too juiced up in the game and just couldn't really focus and then got away from him. This is the game that I think I'm going to look at and say, you know what, if you give up a couple of runs, I'm not going to be frustrated. I need length out of you right now, Jack Flaherty. I need six innings, seven innings. Show me what Miles Michaelis has done this season. Show me what Wayno's done this season. Show me what Hudson's done this season. That's what I need to see this start. And then next start, that's the start that I want to look at and say, okay, now I'm ready to see the ace stuff. Now I'm ready to see you lights out against an, an opponent. And that's what I think the progression is. And if you take a step back in the next couple of starts, if you go back to what that first start was, if you're Jack Flaherty tonight or his next one where you can only get four innings and you're all over the place and errors are happening behind you, then I think I'm going to start to get real concerned about Flaherty. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm kind of the same with you there, Alex. It, it, unless he just has just the command we saw in that start against Pittsburgh and he just looks clearly frustrated, then I'll have concerns. Otherwise, I, I usually look at starters in like three start increments. I, I think that's fair because that's about 15 games for hitters and then three starts for starters. So these next two starts are the ones I'm really going to keep an eye on to see how he looks. How does his stuff play? How efficient is he when it comes to uh, getting ahead in counts early? How efficient is he in terms of just strikes to the total number of pitches? And then, as you mentioned, he's going to be built up to it being Jack Flaherty by the time he gets done with that this third start back, which is looking to be against the Chicago Cubs. It will be interesting to see how he pitches tonight because historically Jack Flaherty is not very good in Milwaukee. He has an ERA above uh, 5.8 in seven starts there in Milwaukee, so we'll see how he plays. And there is going to be a little bit more pressure on him. I don't think I'm expecting six or seven innings from Jack Flaherty. I think five is going to be my goal tonight to hopefully see five innings qualify for the win and give me what would be a quality, quote-unquote quality start if you got through six. Three runs or less would be preferred because the Cardinals offense should be able to hit Chichi Gonzalez, so he should be getting offensive support. long as he keeps him in the game, can get his 75 pitches, be efficient, get about five innings deep, then I think that's the important part for the Cardinals, and hopefully the stuff just looks there and the command is there tonight. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is it's less about the numbers for me and more about the feel. Does he look like he is in command of the game? And if if the ball gets through a little bit, we saw this a couple of starts ago for, for a couple of different Cardinals guys. Like Sometimes they just... TJ McFarland was a perfect example of this. They're not hitting the ball hard. It just happens to find a hole. If that's what's happening to Jack Flaherty, all right, fine. But don't lose your cool out there. Don't get frustrated the way that he did in his last start. I'd also like to see the velocity play up a little bit more. We got to the second and then the third inning of his last start. He was throwing like 91. I want to see him be able to get deeper into the game as a starter that is still throwing 93-94. That's where he should be at when he's at his best. He was sitting 91, 92 in his last one. So I I hope that that looks a little bit better. And then just a crisp slider that isn't getting hit hard because in the last start, the slider was what really got crushed. Um, So if he can, if you can have that slider look a little bit more like he's got command of it. If you can get the fastball that's able to throw strikes for him and he's not having to go to his secondary stuff uh, to be able to get ahead or to having to take velocity off of his fastball to be able to throw it for strikes. Uh, that's that's the biggest thing to me is it's it's just a feel thing for Jack Flaherty. He's got to be able to feel things and he's got to have a better command of everything. Um, he just didn't have any of that in his most recent start. The other thing here, we've talked a lot about the Cardinals bullpen. They're set up really well for tonight if they're winning. All right. Well, I thought that's how bullpens worked. They're set up well as long as I don't see three guys come out of it. Verhagen, Whitgren, and McFarlane. The problem is if they are losing, I don't feel great because they don't have a whole lot of guys that are available for them. Drew Verhagen just threw 30 pitches on Sunday. I don't know if they're going to want to go back to him immediately thereafter. Uh, Johan Oviedo threw 23 pitches for them yesterday. I would imagine they're probably not going back to back for a guy that's just making this transition to the bullpen. TJ McFarland should be available for you. Nick Wicker, and I, I would imagine is probably available for you as well. But your big guys looking at guys like uh, Giovanni Gallegos or Ryan Helsley, they haven't thrown in the last five days. And you're probably going to want to get them into this game whether you're winning or losing. So Jack, it would be a huge help for the Cardinals if you could go ahead and keep them in the lead for like five innings or so. If he can get you through five, you can go to, I would imagine it's probably Cabrera for like one and a third, one and two thirds, maybe even two innings there. And then you're able to get to the back end of your bullpen. 
that's the way they would like to set this thing up. But you know what they say about the best laid plans. Uh, sometimes it doesn't go as expected. So if the Cardinals are not winning today and you get to the back end of the pin, who buddy, this could be an adventure for the next couple of games in this series. Well, maybe Hennis has went to Ollie today and said, hey, Skip, got I got four, four for you. <laughs> He, I think he learned his lesson the hard way last time that he tried to do that. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be doing that tonight. Maybe Whitgren goes up and says, hey, I got five for you today, Skip. And I'll go, yeah, you got yeah, one. Yeah, we, we've got one. <laughs> if we're leading, you got none. Coming up in 15 <laughs> minutes, is this the cost that you'd be willing to pay for Matthew Kachuk? Earlier today, we talked to Jeremy Rutherford, and he said, hey, listen, I understand that people get frustrated sometimes that we mention this Matthew Kachuk thing so often, but there's a reason why we're doing it. We've got to keep tabs on this because it's legitimately possible that Kachuk gets traded this offseason. The Calgary Flames beat reporter put out a projection on what it would take to trade for Matthew Kachuk if he becomes available. We'll talk about what that could mean for the Blues coming up in 15 minutes. Better to forget it coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight. Talking about this Elvis service text line for bet it or forget it. Mystic boys. So we're talking about this Elvis movie that's coming out. No, I can't play Elvis. Better to forget it. That ends up being the best movie that you see this year. Bet it. I, I'm. I cannot tell you guys how excited I am to go see this. I've, I've always loved Elvis's music, Elvis's movies, things like that. But He's knowing, got a bunch of movies out. I don't know. About, you did know that Elvis had movies? Yeah, he started movies back in the. Oh, oh I thought you were talking about like movies that are about Elvis. It's like I, I think this is kind of one of the first of its kind, right? Yes, but Elvis was in movies I see what you're saying when now. he was My famous. Apologies. Go ahead, buddy. No, sorry. I, I mean, I've been to Memphis. Go to Graceland. I, yeah, I've been to. I mean, I've been Young to Graceland. Wine, come on. Tom Hanks is in this, which one tells me the film is going to be really good because Tom Hanks is always a part of good movies. But like, there's never been something this big of a biopic for Elvis. So, I mean, I am I'm ecstatic to go see this movie this weekend. Yeah, I'm excited to go see it. I, it may be the best movie that's. We, I, I uh, guarantee you. I like. I look at the summer slate, and I don't know if there's anything that really catches my eye. That's not like Marvel or like Star Wars. I don't think it's a Star Wars movie, but like Marvel related. I know they got another one coming out this summer, but other than that, anything that's not associated with it, nothing's really caught my eye except for this Elvis movie. Yeah, it's it looks incredible. Yeah. And the guy. I mean, I was listening to a thing that he did on Jimmy Fallon show a couple of days ago, and the guy just sounds like him. And that's that's the part that's like tough. So I mean great casting i can't wait to see it yeah i'm thrilled i i was reading something about it apparently what's that guy's name harry, just harry styles, styles. Yeah. we just guys, did this harry styles wanted to be elvis and the director was like but people will watch the movie and know that it is harry styles you're already a superstar you, we can't have a superstar trying to play elvis yeah. it needs to be somebody that is viewed as being elvis because he's bigger than any any current people are texting in and saying walk the line is literally about elvis no it's about johnny cash i, I think i'm gonna <laughs> have to change my answer actually I, I it's gonna be tough for it's a top top gun maverick that was really no. good uh, it, it was good have you seen it yeah it was good but it's not gonna be this i don't know oh, it's don't gonna man. be tough to beat that look just because miles teller had his shirt off doesn't mean that that's the greatest movie in the summer i mean it was I think it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Until this movie came out. I don't know, man. We'll see. Oh, by the way, apparently the Buzz Lightyear movie is getting a bunch of great reviews, which I was surprised by because I think it looks honestly terrible. Yeah, I won't go see that. Um, I'll go see it, but 
Not because I think it looks great. I, I'm just curious. BK's just bored, so he's got to go watch a movie. He's got to go see Miles Teller play volleyball without his shirt off one more time. He didn't play volleyball, man. 65780 is the from the 314. I don't think he actually saw it. No, I don't uh, either. I'm pretty sure he hasn't. Better to forget it. The Braves, Padres, Dodgers, Mets, Brewers, and Giants all make the playoffs, and the Cardinals miss. It's, as of today, that would be the case. The Cardinals would actually be it's out of okay. the expanded playoffs. September's our, September's our month. Yeah, another 17-game win streak. Um, I'm going to forget that one. I think they catch Milwaukee. Um, they got to win this series, though, man. You can't. I don't think you could split the series with Milwaukee. I think you need to win this series against Milwaukee. You're out on the Cardinals if no, they I'm lose three out of four. No, I'm not out on the damn Cardinals. I'm or just saying <laughs> you, you haven't won a series against Milwaukee, like what, dating back to the middle of last season? Didn't I mean, they, they literally just split the last one. That's fine. Split it. When was the last time didn't you beat Milwaukee wait, in the series? Didn't they win one earlier in the year? Or no, no, they, they have went, not beat they, them. They've gone basically 500 against them so far this you year. You haven't beat them in a series. That's not going to play well for you. I mean, it doesn't play well for Milwaukee either if they keep splitting with the Cardinals. Yeah, and they can't <laughs> beat anybody else besides the division. Fine. Uh, you know what? Just because I hate both of you, I'm going to forget it or bet it. I'm going to bet it. They're going to miss. I'm going to forget it. I, I think they're still going to win the NL Central, uh, but I, I could see where you got to win the Central to get in the playoffs. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that because this division's not very good. Uh, Milwaukee and the Cardinals are going to be battling for it, but they're not going to be able to rack up the wins like the West and the East are to get those wild card spots. So I'm going to bet this, though. I think the Cardinals win this division. It's going to be a lot harder to win three or four now that you lost a great outing for Michaelis. But again, we talked about earlier, Burns was just on another level. And you got to try and win that fourth game with Dakota Hudson on the mound, which is going to be the toughest task of the three that are left. So I, I, I can see them splitting this series, but I think they win this win this Central. So the thing that's frustrating is the National League's better than it was two weeks ago. The teams that were really struggling, the Braves, the Phillies, for example, that we came into the season with expectations for, they're now playing well again. And so that changes the complexion of what the National League playoff race looks like. Like right now, the Phillies are a game and a half back of you, and they're playing good baseball lately. They've been much, much, much better. Now I'll take your defense over them, and I think that the Cardinals will eventually finish ahead of them. But if you don't beat the Brewers in this division, I think the Central is at risk right now of only getting one team in. Like whoever wins this division might be the only one that gets in from the Central because right now you've got out of the East, the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, all kind of up towards the top. In the NL West, you've still got the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants all in consideration. And you've got one team from the from the Central potentially. So I, I'll, I believe that the Cardinals will get into the playoffs, so I'm going to forget this. But I think one of the Cardinals or the Brewers probably end up missing out on the playoffs this year, uh, despite the fact that they're going to have a pretty darn good record. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, from the 314. Better to forget it. The Brewers will make a big move before the trade deadline, and the Cardinals will not. I think the Cardinals, depending on what happens with Brandon Woodruff, I think the Brewers are going to make a move for a starting pitcher. And I saw Jim Bowden's piece had them connected to Kyle Hendricks, which uh, that would be the Cardinals' worst nightmare to get Kyle Hendricks. Um, Good good news is I don't think because we're trading the division. So that makes you feel any better. He has multiple years of control, right? Yeah. He's got two, I think. I'll bet. I'll forget this one. I think the Cardinals make a significant move, too got two more years after this year i think the cardinals make a significant move i think the brewers will make a bigger move but i don't know what their prospect system looks like either so i'm gonna forget this one still though 
I'm going to forget this one. I, I think both teams make a big move, and that's why I'm forgetting it. Because I think the Cardinals, we talked about it yesterday, I think they do acquire a top five bullpen arm that'll be on the market uh, the, at the trade deadline. I, I, Milwaukee's going to be aggressive. I mean, their time is starting to dwindle on what they have with this roster. Look, we can say what we want about the offense, and it's inconsistent. But at some point, all three of those pitchers, Peralta, Woodruff, uh, and Burns, some point they're already starting to break and at some point they're going to want more money and the Brewers just can't afford all of them especially now that Yelich has got his big contract there's talks that they may be moving Hader potentially again at the end of this season so I, I think they will make a big move and start to make another push towards making the offense better I think they go and get somebody on the offensive side of the ball I'm not they may look for a starter but I don't think it'll be one of the top end guys so I'll bet or I'll forget this I think the Cardinals are going to make a big move I think it's for a reliever Maybe we are, I think there will probably be a, at least a segment of Cardinals fans that say, eh, is that really a big move? And then we'll say, yeah, it is because it solidifies what they needed out of their bullpen. So I'm going to forget this as well. I think that both teams might end up making a big move before the deadline. I think they're going to see that what we just talked about, there's urgency to win this division. And if you don't make a big move, you could be at risk of potentially missing out on the playoffs. So I'm going to say, I forget this as well. I think that the Cardinals will make a, a relatively significant move. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. The biggest move that the Blues make this offseason is re-signing one of their own players. Forget it. They're going to make a big move. Uh, it, just, it just screams Doug Armstrong. And especially with all of these options in front of them, the biggest move will not be one of their own. So I'm going to forget this. Would you call a big move if they don't sign Letty, but they get a caliber of Nick Letty to come and replace him? That makes sense. Would you call that a big yeah, move? Signing a guy to like a $5 million deal. So we're yeah. talking about like the Zadorov. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, I will. Wait, is it better to forget that they're not going to make a move? Are we sure? The biggest move that they make this offseason is re-signing oh, yeah, right. or extending. So, I, I should have clarified I, I for, I for I'm going to forget this. I, I, I think they either acquire Chikrin at, at, with the trade or they replace Letty by bringing in someone that's around that $5 million. But I think their biggest move comes defensively on the left side, and I don't think it's an internal person that they have right now that's a free agent. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. JR, in his piece that he posted a couple of days ago, the, the fan questions that he asked, which of these scenarios do you think is most likely to happen this offseason? A trade for Matsu Kachuk, a trade for Jacob Chikrin, a ch- trade for Ivan Provorov, or Tarasenko returns and then both Nick Letty and David Perron are re-signed? I think that last one is actually the least likely of these scenarios to happen. Yeah, I don't think all three of them come I, back. I would be really surprised if you have Tarasenko, Perron, and Nick Letty back on this roster as it's currently constructed. I think they will make a big move, and I tend to agree with you guys. I think it's for that left-handed defenseman. I don't know who it's going to be, and that's, that's, I think, what makes me so anxious going into the offseason is just, who is that player? I trust that Doug Armstrong's going to find them, but it's really difficult to go through all of these rosters because I don't think that guy's in free agency. I I don't think they're going to find him there unless they get like an Ian Cole and they sign somebody to just throw numbers at the problem. I think it is going to be a trade of some capacity. I just don't know who it's for. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer, but let's continue with this conversation, answering some of the questions from JR's piece, including which of those scenarios is most likely and what is your level of confidence in Jordan Bennington going into the offseason on a scale of one to five? We'll give you that coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Manfred has a great piece over on The Athletic right now asking uh, the Blues fans survey. So basically an exit interview for fans coming off of the 2022 season. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I wanted to get into a few of these questions with you guys, kind of quick hitter style. Let's start out with this one. What is your level of confidence in Jordan Bennington as the Blues starting goalie going into next year. He asked this on a confidence scale of one to five, with five being the highest, one being the lowest. If we ask this question in, let's say, April, I think the answer for most of us would have been, well, at least me and Tanner, uh, realists in the group, uh, <laughs> yeah. like a two, a two, two, maybe a three going into next year. As of right now, I'm at a four. I, I think I... I think we have a pretty good grasp at this point in time of what Jordan Bennington is and what he isn't. He's not a guy that's going to start 60 games for you in the regular season. He is going to go through some struggles probably during the regular season. He starts about 50 games and you need a backup goalie that's able to carry a little bit of the load. And then you go into the playoffs and he's a guy that elevates his game to meet the moment. So I, I feel pretty confident in Jordan Bennington as their starting goalie next year, especially if they've got a solid backup like a Charlie Lindgren. I mean, I'm with, at a four. With what you said, that's the reason I'm at a five. Wow. I know exactly what Jordan Bennington is going to be. I need to have a backup goaltender who could give me 20 to 25 starts. He's going to be good for you in the regular season. Not great, but you know he's going to take his game to the next level in the playoffs. So for me, I'm a, a confidence level. Anything less than a five would mean that I don't feel comfortable as him as my starting goaltender, and I do. So I'm putting it at a five uh, i'm probably sitting at a four with bk because i i feel pretty confident i know what he is my my one question would be what happens if you ha- don't have the backup that plays well what if chucky Sideburns ends up not being the backup and you have to ride bennington a little bit harder or he's not pushed by uh chucky Sideburns either then things become maybe a little bit more inter- interesting for jordan bennington because i do think Huso had a part of playing into jordan bennington and pushing him there down the stretch when bennington kind of felt like hey, maybe I'm not that goaltender anymore. He got pushed by Huso, and then he takes the job and he raises his game in the playoffs. So I priced it at four. You got to get a backup goaltender who can make sure that Bennington doesn't feel like he has to go back in the net if he's going through a bad time. And that's what I think every team needs. When you get goaltenders who are going to go through a little bit of a slump because it's inevitable, it's going to happen, you got to have somebody who can take over the low for a little bit and not feel the goaltender has to be forced back in. So, yeah. But I think the Blues find they find those diamonds in the roughs with those goaltenders. So I think they're going to be fine in that circumstance. The next one that I wanted to get to, if the blues could acquire a top four defenseman, which of these four options would you prefer as being the way that they acquire said defenseman? So these are scenarios that end up resulting in that player being on the blues, whether it's directly or indirectly. Here's what I mean by that. Option number one, you trade Tarasenko either for a specific defenseman or you get rid of that salary and then you're able to acquire a defenseman by using that cap space. Option two, you don't re-sign Perron and instead of re-signing Perron, you use that money and redirect it towards your blue line. Option number three, you trade a package that includes Ivan Barbashev and one of Jake Neighbors or Zachary Bolduke for that defenseman. Or option four, I don't like any of those options. Go ahead and just let's go back with Nico Mikola and Scott Perunovic to be the top pairing left-handed defenseman. Which of those four options do you like most? Man, this is tough because like I, I, I'm not doing the Perron scenario. Okay, I'd consider the Tarasenko scenario, but I got to know I'm going to find a way to get another offensive player on the other side too. But I think the way I would go is Neighbors or Bolduke. That to me is the most and Barbie and Barbie. That to me is the most realistic option. Because you're not taking a massive, and honestly, I would side more towards the Zachary Bullduke than the Jake Neighbors, because Neighbors is closer to being NHL ready. Which one do you think project? Sorry to interject no, here, fine. but real quick, 
which of those guys projects to be better NHL players? I, I mean, if you're going off of what Bolduke has done in the AHL, Bolduke seems to be the guy that projects to have more of an offensive upside. The guy just had 99 points in 65 games, and he's not the he's not small. Like he's six foot one, 177 pounds. I think if there was one guy that projects to be a better player at the NHL level, it would be Bolduke. Bolduke reminds me a little of Tage Thompson. That's kind of what I see in Zachary Bolduke. But Jake Neighbors projects better on the Blues mindset of that physical presence going to the front of the net. And you're probably still about three years away from Bolduke being NHL ready. Two years, three years. So that would be the way I would lie because I don't want to trade Tarasenko to get assets and then trade him for the defenseman get the defenseman but I'm also losing a 35 goal score in the process yeah I'm leaning towards you know I am starting to grow as the offseason is starting to build and this probably means it's going to happen but I am starting to grow a little bit more skeptical that the Blues would move either a neighbors or a Bullduke uh, but with that being said I, I think of these four options I think that's the one that would make the most sense is you part with one of those guys part with Barbie and go get someone like a Jacob Chickering that gets the deal done uh, because I, I'm with Alex you can't really replace Vladimir Tarasenko I mean we ran through the list yesterday we could only come up with what two guys yeah. I don't think we came up with three so I don't see the Blues moving his slot in terms of just get rid of those $6 million, bring in a defenseman, and you can't fill that offensive void. I don't see them just running it back with Mikola and Perunovic. I think those guys play a big part in what happens next year, but I think it's probably third-pairing minutes. I don't, I don't think it's going to be in the top four, uh, and I, I don't see them letting Perron walk just so they could use that spot to go sign someone because I don't think that really gets the job done for them either. Now, if I knew I was getting Kachuk... Sure, that changes, everything. that changes everything. But then in that scenario, you wouldn't be trading exactly. Tarasenko for a defenseman or to move his salary to get one. That's trading uh, Tarasenko to get Kachuk this into is the a, lineup. This right? is a one-off move. This is the only move that's taking place. Yeah, if you were if you were to get... Here's a question for you, Alex. Can you have David Perron and Matthew Kachuk? Can you re-sign Perron this offseason if you end up acquiring Matthew Kachuk? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, And get a defenseman. Well, the defenseman in my mind is Jacob Chikrin. If it's not Jacob Chikrin, it's not Nick Letty. And that's the case, then it's Nico Mikola, Scott Perunovic, and then probably a, a lower, like an Ian Cole or something like that, that you're signing to a lesser deal. Sure. Like you said, throw numbers at it. You could definitely make it work, but Perron's going to have to. He, he can't get the $6 million. He's going to be, getting, he he's get gonna be getting closer to $4 million like we have talked about. I think we're all on the same page here. I, I agree. Barbie and one of those two prospects, I think it's more likely Bull Duke because I agree with you, Alex. They want neighbors to clearly be a part of this team next year. I think that is the most likely, and I also think that's the one that I would like to see them go about because I want David Perron to be back on this team next year. If they trade Tarasenko, we talked about this yesterday, it's got to be for somebody that's an upgrade in your top six, and those are just few and far between unless it is... I, honestly, I think the one is probably uh, Kachuk, but if you wanted to go the Pasternak route, I would at least be willing to listen to that. Real quick, somebody just texted and said Ferrario just turned everyone off of the Tage Thompson route because of the, or the Bullduke route because of the Tage Thompson comp. Uh, they were both centers. Thompson was a lot bigger, and I mean, you shouldn't be turned off by it. I mean, Thompson just scored 68 points in 78 games for the Buffalo Sabres. What I'm saying is this... It's a center who's going to take some time to get to the NHL level, but he's shown that he can score goals when he's in juniors or in Tage Thompson's case in college. So the last thing here is which of these scenarios do you believe to be most likely for the Blues in terms of what they acquired this offseason to upgrade the team? Option number one, they trade for Kachuk. Option number two, they trade for Chikrin. Option number three, they trade for Provorov. Three, 
possibilities that we've spent a lot of time talking about individually. Or option number four, Tarasenko returns, Perron's back on an extension, and Nick Letty is re-signed as well. Alex, let's start with this. According to the Flames beat writer for The Athletic, the asking price, if the Flames were to trade Kachuk this offseason, specifically from the Blues, she was asked about this from the Blues' perspective, would probably be Jordan Cairo, one of Jake Neighbors or uh, Bull Duke, and probably a high draft pick. So let's say it's Cairo, Bull Duke, a first-round pick, and she also said they should prioritize NHL-ready players. Maybe you add in Ivan Bar- Barbashev into that deal to be able to get something done to put you over the top compared to the other bidders for Matthew Kachuk's services. With that in the back of your mind as being the potential cost for Matthew Kachuk, which of those do you view to be most likely? Kachuk, Chikrin, Provorov, or those three guys, Tarasenko, Perron, Letty, all back? I think Chikrin's the most likely. Even with that in mind, knowing what the price is for a Matthew Kachuk, I... I still think Jacob Chikrin's the most likely scenario out of all of these because that's pretty much set in stone that he's going to be traded. Like, I don't see Arizona keeping him this offseason, especially after trying to trade him at the deadline, not getting the cost that they wanted. He's healthy now, so that was probably part of the reason teams were giving up the big cost because he was injured last season. And you're going into the draft. Teams have been interested in Chikrin. Like pretty much the writing is on the wall that Chikrin's going to be traded. And I don't think what you're going to have to give up for Chikrin is going to be as much as what you have to give up for Matthew Kachuk. But on top of it, I'm not sold yet on Matthew Kachuk being traded because we've talked about this off air. His trade relies solely on what happens with Johnny Goudreau. If they don't re-sign Johnny Goudreau and Goudreau says, I'm going to Seattle, Philadelphia, they will throw everything at Matthew Kachuk to keep him because you cannot win without one of those guys. I don't know if you can win without both of those guys. So I'm not sold that Kachuk is going to be traded yet. Provorov is, from everything I'm hearing, that just doesn't make much sense for the Blues. And I don't think it's likely at all that Tarasenko, Perron, and Letty are all back. So I think Chikrin's the most likely. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think Chikrin's the most likely. I would say Kachuk if there wasn't that uncertainty that Alex mentioned. If we already knew that hey, they got pretty much a deal done with Goudreau and they're basically decided that they're going to trade Kachuk this offseason, then I would say he's probably the number one most likely option. Agreed. But because there's that kind of that black cloud that's kind of hanging over what that situation is in Calgary, I think it is Chikorin because I agree. I'm not sure Provorov's the answer for the Blues, and I just can't see a scenario in which you could bring have Vladdy Perron and Nick Letty all be brought back. Guys, it's so hard for me to believe that Jacob Chikorin ends up somewhere else. Like I, I, I'm, I'm setting myself up for failure, and LA's I understand that. the only that. other place that I think is is a real possibility he could get traded. He just makes too much sense almost not to happen. Like it reminds me last year of Brandon Sod, where it's like you looked at the free agent market and everything that he does, everything that he is as a player fits here, and what they were missing as a top six left winger, he fit into that criteria as well. This year. The options in the free agent market, there isn't a Brandon Sod. It just doesn't exist for what the Blues need right now. And when you look at the trade market, the guy that fits into what they need and how they're building, the timeline of everything, the money, everything about it makes sense is Jacob Chikrin. He seems to be the perfect guy. He's 23 years old, man. He's coming off of what was a pretty solid overall season. Defensively, he's outstanding. The offensive numbers took a step back last year, but previously he was great offensively as well everything about it makes almost too much sense not to happen for the blues this offseason it really just comes down to are they going to expect a massive haul in return and if so 
are the Blues willing to make, uh, pay that for And that's what happens when you get closer to the draft, when you make those trades. That's when teams really are looking for that massive haul. And you're probably trading that first-round draft pick on top of other draft picks if you're going for Jacob Chikrin. Uh, real quick, we got a couple of texts on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Uh, 636, Calgary can throw everything. There is no cap. They won't pay him more than the Blues because they can't. I think they're saying that Calgary's not going to pay more than the Blues. They can. If they don't get Goudreau, they're going to throw $11 million per year at Matthew Kachuk. I'm guessing they're saying if they do keep Goudreau. If they keep, yeah, that's where the scenario gets interesting because if they keep Goudreau, they can't afford a Matthew Kachuk. And that's where I think, like Tanner said, then I would put Matthew Kachuk as more likely than Jacob Chikrin to happen this offseason. So offseason. they can keep Kachuk, though. You mentioned this to me yesterday. They, they can technically do For it. For one year. They could keep them long term. And then you're just in the situation that the Maple Leafs are in, where oh, you're yeah, building around two unbelievably that's highly true. paid forwards. And you're paying 22 ish million dollars per year for those yeah. two guys. And then if you add in Markstrom as well, you're up to like 28, 30 million dollars for three guys that are on your team. I think they've got a couple highly paid defensemen as well. So you're you're talking about like 40 million dollars for five players. And basically. you couldn't if you're Calgary, you couldn't win with those guys on team friendly deals. What makes you think you're going to win when you pay them that much money? But the other are you better without Matthew? Kajok? That's the question, you know, and then the other one they asked through their three one four. You can give up all those pieces or you can't give up all those pieces just to get him a year early. Get Kachuk next offseason without giving up anything. That's not how it works, uh, because every team goes after Matthew Kachuk and as uh Appealing as St. Louis is, so is a Las Vegas, which I don't think they'd have money for this, that doesn't have taxes that go into the contract. So is Dallas that doesn't have taxes. So would be the New York Rangers or the New York Islanders because they're in New York. Like you can't you can't use the well, we're his hometown excuse in free agency when and you don't think Seattle would throw imagine, everything? Imagine what Detroit would throw at a oh guy like God. that. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying would be to get into the that. next era yes. of great Red Wings hockey. Imagine a better face of your franchise for what Steve Eiserman wants to build there than Matthew Kachuk. You can't. That guy probably doesn't exist. So, yeah, as much as there's going to be a draw to coming back home here to play for the Blues, I think the way he would say is, yeah, I can go there after this 10 year deal. <laughs> I'll finish my career in St. Louis, you yeah. know, like it's just it's it's really difficult to win those kinds of bidding wars with the way that the Blues are constructed. You're probably going to have to go to a place that I just don't think Doug Armstrong would be willing to go and talk about a no move clause that that is when a no move clause doesn't just become a possibility. It becomes a requirement unless unless Matthew already wants to come here and he already knows that Doug's not giving you a no movement clause and he still wants to come. But here. when you've got like 10 teams that are bidding on your services and nine of them are willing Free to go agency, to the no move clause, you have to sweeten the pot. And all nine of them are willing to pay you also more money yep. and six of them have no state income taxes. So you're and making three an extra... of them are willing to call you their captain. Like there's a lot that goes into it that people aren't taking into consideration. You it's tough. Making man. Florida sound nice. <laughs> You're right. It's, it's nice, nice until you good. lose in the second round. Wow. Uh, the one other thing that I wanted to ask you this out here, Alex, somebody on the text line from the six, one, eight, if you guys were offered two trades that are identical. So let's say it's Cairo, um, first round pick bull Duke and Barbie. That's that's what you're giving up. And you can get Kachuk for that. Or you can get chicken for that. Both teams have accepted the deal. And you have to decide which one you're going to do. Which one are you going with? I'm going Kachuk because that's too much to give up for Jacob Chikrin. That's I mean, you're giving up four first round picks, essentially, for Jacob Chikrin. That's too much. 
Yeah, I, I think I'd have to go Kachuk. I, I was leaning towards Chikrin just because I think he plugs a bigger hole for the Blues than what Matthew Kachuk is because we've talked about I mean, you had nine guys that scored 20-plus goals for you last season. I, I don't think goal scoring is necessarily at the top of your list, but Matthew Kachuk's a difference maker than what the nine twenty goal scorers are. He's just on a different level, and you can. I think the Blues, as we saw this year, they can kind of patch together, fill in that need at left defenseman, and rather than just paying that much for him and yeah. overpaying. I mean, you're giving up two guys who score twenty plus goals for a defenseman. I'm not, and on top of that, a, pr- a prospect who's probably going to be a thirty goal scorer and a first round draft pick, and the, you don't have a first or second round. For a defenseman, like that, that defenseman's got to be Victor Hedman if I'm making that trade. Matthew Kachuk would come in and immediately be the best player on this team, with an already group of best players on the team. Jacob Jacob Chikrin would come in and wouldn't probably be your best defenseman. I'm going Matthew Kachuk mm-hmm. for that kind of a trade. Yep. Uh, that's the difference. Like if I'm going to give up that kind of haul. I better be getting a face of the franchise type of player. And that's what Matthew Kachuk is coming up in about 15 minutes. We could realistically see three of baseball's biggest stars change rosters within the next two years. We'll explain what we mean by that coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. The junk drawer is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So Alex came in yesterday and said, Hey guys, I lost my putter on Saturday when I was on a golf outing. And I said, save it. Let's get to it in the junk drawer tomorrow. Alex, can you please explain yourself? How do you lose a putter while you're golfing? It, apparently, unfortunately it's happened more than once uh, for, for me, but you, Oh yeah. Like I'll, I'll forget it on a hole and then we'll drive off to the next hole. And then by then I'm like, Oh damn, where's my putter? And then I got to go back to that <laughs> hole. And usually every time before Saturday, I've gone back and I have found the putter. Uh, but this time some group of jerks decided to pick it up and take the putter. So um, Tanner, you, you've gone golfing. Yeah. I, I am surprisingly enough, not a big avid golfer. Uh, you could probably tell that by my baseball swing. Yes. Different swings, but go on. Understand, same idea, same concept, no hips in either way. So <laughs> just not going to work okay, for you. Well, yeah, you're out then if there's yeah, no hips there. There's no hip movement. You do, dancing, a lot of, you do a lot of twerking, though. Yeah, it's mostly in the booty, though. Uh, there's no there's no real hip movement going on. Um, so, Ryder, stop looking. Tanner, I feel uncomfortable. It's got to be poor form to leave your putter oh, it's terrible. on the course, right? <laughs> like, I, I'm not wrong I, here. I'm assuming what happened was you had... Were you wearing you were, cargo shorts, too, while you were out uh, there? Oh, no, That's no. important, too. <laughs> no. How do you keep everything in your pockets, then? Well, guys, I mean, when, when, when I golf with my, uh, with my dad and my cousin and my brother-in-law, there are a are lot you, of adult beverages I, drink on that golf course. So by the time I get to... So by the time that I get to the last three or four holes... You don't really remember if you had a putter or not. Well, are you wearing golf shoes and the the gloves? No, I don't. And I, don't I don't wear the glove. I'm the Matt Carpenter of golf. Okay. I go bare hand. Me you got too. the shoes though? Yeah, I got the shoes. Yeah, I don't know. I think those are supply can play. Look, I'm not the most professional so golfer out there. I go out and have a good time. I don't really know if you even so need wait. the golf shoes. I wear the golf shoes. They're supposed to help. Don't think they I'm, do. I'm assuming that you were like just on the edge of the green. Yeah. So what I usually do is putter. Yeah. When, when you know towards the end of the hole, when you're on the fairway and you're going to the green, you're carrying like three or four p- 
clubs with you because you don't want to have to keep going back and forth to the golf cart, especially if you can't drive it out on the on the course. And so I had like three of them with me. And don't yes, you have your bag? No, you it's don't. On the no, it's on the golf cart. cart. And yes, I know the, the follow-up question. We're not on PGA Tour. The follow-up question them. is, well, don't you use your putter last? Yes, you do use your putter last. But my problem was I probably you got You made the so, pitching wedge shot. No, nice. One, I had a lot of adult beverages in me. But two... I probably got so pissed off that I missed the putt that I probably chucked the golf club, and that's where I lost it. Don't say probably. Yeah, that's what happened. You well, know, I just happened. I don't really remember. And apparently nobody in my group does either because I said, hey, anybody remember my golf club? I'm like, no, thought you had it. And then to make the day worse for me, I I'm still back. trying to understand how you forget your club that you finished the hole with. <laughs> that, like, like if it was a pitching, or if it was a pitching wedge or something, I could understand that. The putter. Someone said you no. put the you put the the club in the cart. How is that possible? Well, yes, but I was also putting four clubs into the cart, and apparently I just including missed another the one, one that was already in your hand. Like you got the other yeah, three. Yeah, but if that I threw it up down. in the air because by, I was ticked by the way, off, I have I another question. It. Why are you carrying four clubs to that hole? <laughs> it was a it should be ball. like two. Long, well, no, because you got to carry. <laughs> you the, just like carry your driver, carry the pitching your six wedge, iron, the sand wedge, like the putter, and then I have my nine iron. Eight hundred foot. Yeah. No, it was a pitching wedge and a sand wedge because I'm probably going to need both of those at some point because the ball's going to end up in the sand. You've got the putter, and then I had the nine iron from where the club or the golf cart was originally. But then I walked back. Gloves, bro. No excuses. Way less slippage. Just ask any pro. Oh, well, I, I don't really care about slippage to be honest with you. I'm not out there trying to go seven under. I'm just trying out there to have a good time. I just want to hit the ball. You know what, guys? We're not here for a long time, as my cousin tells me. We're here for a good time. And to not have putters, apparently. Coming up in 15 minutes, Danny Max joining the show. I want to talk to him about what he saw last night from Miles Michaelis and the Cardinals offense against these quality pitchers. Is this a concern or just something that happens when you go up against all of these aces that they've seen of late? We'll talk to Danny Mack about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, there is a realistic scenario that involves three of the biggest stars in baseball changing teams within the next two years. We'll explain it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. MLB Network, I believe it was yesterday, Ken Rosenthal was on and they asked him about some of the potential free agency landscape shifting in the next couple of years. And you don't see very many legitimate superstars, Alex, hitting free agency. But Ken Rosenthal thinks there's at least a chance that over the next couple of years, we see one of the biggest stars in baseball reaching free agency in Shohei Otani. To sign Otani, they would need to give him a record average salary. That would be in excess of the 43.3 million Max Scherzer is getting from the Mets. Problem was, Angels didn't want to go long term at that time. They got Trout and they got Rendon tied up for quite a while. And if you get Otani signed as well, you're probably looking at three players for 120 million a year for a certain period of time. And that's the kind of structure that's gotten the Angels into trouble in the first place. Then the other question becomes does Otani want to stay? He said at the end of last season, I want to win. That's the biggest thing. So really, the solution here is for the Angels to make the playoffs for the first time since 2014. That would maybe increase their incentive to want to keep the gang together and maybe would show Otani that, hey, this can be a place where you can win. 
long term. So Shohei Otani, the the Angels, for what it's worth, are 10 games back in the division right now. They're four games under 500 this season. They've been middling basically all year long. And they've got Otani. They've got Mike Trout. They right now have... They got Anthony Rendon. The guy won a World Series. He is signed after this season for another four years and $155 million. It's fine. He backs up that contract. How good he is. Alex, if you're looking at what they already have committed in future years, they are committed in 2025 to $100 million on their payroll right now. Already, that is before Shohei Otani is paid. If they add him to that payroll, they will have more than $140 million in commitments in 2025. They already lead Major League Baseball in guaranteed deals for 2025 before Shohei Otani is on the books. And they're at $10 million more than any other team. Guys, I'm not saying they can't re-sign Otani or that they shouldn't re-sign Otani. I am very much saying I don't know that they can re-sign Shohei Otani given what they currently have on the payroll. If they don't, they might have to next year start talking about trading Shohei Otani. And I know that this might be a year early. Maybe this isn't even a conversation worth having. But, man, when you have this kind of player who was one of the biggest stars in the game, one of the best players in the game right now, and he could potentially be available via trade. I I don't know who could make that kind of a deal, but I would have to imagine there's at least five or seven different teams that would say, yeah, we have at least got to get in on something like this. It would be similar to when Mookie Betts was traded from the Red Sox to the Dodgers, where it's like, man, I I don't know who's going to get in on this because they have to give him 40 plus million dollars once he's traded there. And someone's going to do it because of the the name and the ability to play two positions moving forward. But I wonder if that switches if you give him the big contract because you're going longevity there. If they do trade away Shohei Otani, Mike Trout's got to be right there behind him. There's no like. I wonder if they consider trading Trout instead of Otani because th- there's no way you could. We were talking Otani's about this younger. in the office. Like, th- there is no way you can trade that Rendon deal. As much as you would love to, that's the one you would like to get off of the books. Nobody's taking that money. Why Nobody. would Why would anybody want to stay with the Angels if I mean Trout's been to what two postseasons in his career? The last one was in 2014, and, yeah. and you're one of the best players in the game, if not Ever. the best. Ever. He's one of the best players to ever play baseball, and we last saw him in the playoffs in 2014. And then if you're Shohei Otani and you've been around this for the last couple of years, you just won an MVP and a Cy Young, and you've been in the conversations, and you're not going to the playoffs. I would imagine both won out. Like, the Angels spend money, but they spend money on guys who don't contribute, and then nothing happens. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think the Shohei Otani thing, he's probably going to one out more than the Angels are going to want to trade him. Because if they're not winning, if you're not having success, why do you want to stay there? What if he says, I'll stay, and the Angels say, okay, we've got to choose between either re-signing Otani or trading, and trading Mike Trout or trading Otani early and then sticking with Mike Trout. Which one of those would you rather have long-term, Trout or Otani? I think you'd want Otani. Otani, by the way, is right now, in terms of the age, 28 years old. Mike Trout is about to turn 31, so he's three years older. I think I would want... Otani T-Bone because he's younger and he plays two positions where that can make an impact. See, I, I would almost lean towards Mike Trout because he's one of the greatest to ever play. And, and the I get it, he's three years older and he's got a he's still got a long ways left on his contract. The the problem for me for Otani, and they have dealt with this a little bit at times of 
dealing with him as a pitcher and a designated hitter. It can be difficult for him to do both positions, and will he project to do that for the longevity of his career? I find that hard to see moving forward. I get it. He's great at both, but at some point, it's going to come down to they're probably going to choose. They weighed that option, uh, I think, his first year when he hit, dealt with a bunch of injuries when he was pitching. So I, I just think long-term, you'd, you'd almost would rather have Mike Trout because there's more risk of injury with a guy that's a pitcher and a hitter in Shohei Otani. So I would probably say Mike Trout. Man, I... Imagine this too. Not only is Otani potentially that we're talking about could be a guy that's on the trade market next year. You're also talking about Juan Soto hitting the trade market yeah, as well potentially. And, and Aaron Judge is a free agent after this year. Like he, he he's got to lock him up though. I don't know, man. Wouldn't you have thought that they would have gotten it done by now if they were going to sign him long term? I mean, well, they messed up because he's going to get really paid now. Yeah, and, and right Especially now you've got Garrett Cole already signed for thirty six million dollars for the next God only knows how long. Josh Donaldson's under contract for twenty two million dollars next year. Giancarlo Stanton's at thirty two million dollars. Rizzo at sixteen million dollars. DJ LeMahieu at fifteen million dollars. Aaron Hicks at eleven million dollars. Like how many dudes can you pay? Well, I know it's, it's the, the Yankees. Yankees. You could pay everybody. I know, but Steinbrenner is not his dad. And they have not paid the same amount in terms of the um, luxury the luxury tax. tax thresholds that they previously were willing to. So I, I don't know, man. I, I am not sure that Darren Judge is going to be back. I think he might be a guy that's headed to like a San Francisco. I think they make a ton of sense for a player like him, and it's going to cost a bunch of money into his later thirties. That's not typically something that that front office would do. But if you're going to do it for somebody, he's probably the guy. He's a unicorn. He's huge he's unbelievably athletic he's very good defensively when he's healthy out there and god as a hitter like he's one of the best in the game right now you you can't really do a whole lot better than him um but i i think he probably ends up changing teams out of otani and soto over the next let's say calendar year which one do you think is more likely to change teams out of otani and soto or or you can include trout maybe of those three I think Trout, I think Trout, the one that gets traded from their team, right? That's what you said? Or leaves yeah. their team? Yeah, I think Trout. I, I, I think that would be the most likely out of all of them. And I know Trout's the guy that, you know, isn't very vocal and, you know, isn't like wanting to be in the spotlight. But man, 31 years old, you know, you, you might not have a whole lot of seasons left. And do you want, really want to rot away with the Angels and not be playing in the postseason? Otani's got an excuse to be 28. And if they're willing to give him that money because of his arsenal of weapons, and then you've got Juan Soto, I think the Nationals are going to have to pay Juan Soto whatever you want. And if he wants out, then that makes a difference. I, I think the more likely one out of the three would be Mike Trout. See, I, I think I think both Otani and Soto will change. But if you told me more likely, because I could see the Angels bringing back Otani and paying three guys $120 million. Jeez. Now, that front office that they have now is different than the one that handed out those contracts. Yeah. And they've been a little bit more aggressive in saying they're not going to do that. But I can still see it occurring. I think it's Juan Soto. I, I don't see a scenario in which he stays in Washington. He already turned down a massive contract extension. There's rumors the Nationals are going to be up for sale. And there's also rumors that Rizzo doesn't want to be the guy that trades him. So there's a potential that he could leave or just end up resigning before that occurs. And I don't blame him there. I think Juan Soto. I think Juan Soto is the guy that ends up getting moved somewhere. I think you're right. I think it ends up being Soto. Man, it's crazy that we could legitimately see three guys that are like I mean, ten, three of the 10 best players in, in Major League Baseball yeah. potentially moved within the next couple of years. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Danny Mac joins us next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Michael and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend of the Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. He's Danny Mack joining us here on the show. Dan, how you doing this afternoon, my friend? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Uh, doing very well. Would be doing better if the Cardinals had better luck in getting wins when Miles Michaelis goes out there and performs the way that he did last night. Uh, Dan, was that just an instance of Corbin Burns being awesome and there was nobody really that was going to beat the Brewers with him being on the mound last night? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just giving you trouble. I mean, he was awesome. And, uh, you know, he had the cutter working. And when he's got that thing working, he's going to throw it a bunch. And he did it last night. And for Michaelis, it's been kind of a an odd season in terms of he's always matched up with somebody that is usually the other team's ace, you know, and it began kind of early in the season with Sandy Alcantara. You had Merrill Kelly. Uh, there's been probably two or three others that uh, he's been matched up. Well, the second time now with Corbin Burns. So it, it becomes, and I think it does change how you pitch at times, even though guys will not say that, but you know, you feel like one mistake, you're going to lose the game. So you try to be really fine and you try to be almost perfect. And at times he's had to be that way, but yet, he keeps uh, the Cardinals in games, and he's he's been just awesome this year. It's it's great to see him healthy. I was surprised that they stuck with him as long as they did with the extra inning that he uh, threw coming off of 129. But it should show me and everybody else he's a big, strong guy, can handle the workload, and uh, I thought he pitched very well last night. I see what you did there. Hey, yeah, I like that, Dan. Uh, Dan, what? <laughs> what did I do? The big, strong guy? Big, strong guy. What's that mean? Pete Alonzo's <laughs> had an impact on Remember everyone. Remember Pete Alonzo? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. They don't yeah, know what yeah. I'm going to do. I'm a big, strong guy. He's a big, guy. strong guy. I'll put him in the hospital. <laughs> Wasn't even thinking about it. He's a big, strong guy, man. I'm telling you. Dan, we've all... Uh, I'm a little I, slow today, guys. I'm sorry. I'm, you know, Dan, it's uh, been a long trip, I guess. I, I'm sure you've you've heard Cardinals fans make the, the statements of, well, the Cardinals perform well against bad teams and they can't perform well against the above 500 teams. I don't like that narrative. I'm sure you don't like that narrative also. But the Cardinals offense has struggled against the, the top-level pitching. Does that concern you at all? I may not like the narrative, but they better change the narrative. Um, because when you look at going into this series uh, last night, and now they've played nine games, and so the Brewers are, what, five and four against the Cardinals. In just about every area, they're equal. Um, and you, you can go down to defense. You can say, well, what's the relief look like? Um, certainly Hader and, and Williams are, are difference makers in the back end. There's no question about that. But generally speaking, they're they're pretty equal. And so when you looked at these two teams and what they've done inside the division, both have really beat up on Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. So they're, they're combined, I think there's only like four or five, six losses against those two teams combined with Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee and St. Louis. Against the rest of the league, they're combined under 500. So what that tells me is is that maybe these two teams kind of finish even. Obviously, you take care of business against the lesser teams, but somebody is going to have to emerge outside of the division and play decent baseball. It doesn't have to be great, but somebody's going to have to play better than what they're playing right now, and that might decide uh, what happens in this division. Um, right now, too, the Cardinals would be out of the wild card if it started today. So you, you have added that third wild card, um, and, and they'd be out, Milwaukee be in. So taking care of business outside of your division may be the way that this thing goes down, or at least playing better baseball outside your division may be the way that this uh, all unfolds for one of these two teams. 
Dan, one of the reasons why the Cardinals, I don't have to tell you this, you've seen it up close and in person, but uh, why they are where they are, which is out of the playoffs as of today, is because of the bullpen not named the big three. Last night, I kind of liked what I saw from Johan Oviedo coming out of the pen. His stuff was playing up. He was sitting around 96, 97 miles per hour as opposed to 94, 95. What would you think of Johan coming out as a, as a reliever? I liked it. Um, I liked it the other day, too, in Pittsburgh – was leading, I think, 5 nothing or 5-1, whatever the case was, and he came in, and he had a six-pitch inning coming out of uh, the bullpen. Then the game got tied, and all of a sudden he looked a little different. He looked a little bit, uh, I think, more conservative with his stuff, and his stuff plays, man. It's it's good. And, I, and I've talked to Ali about this. You know, he feels like it's in, incumbent on him and the coaching staff to, to get what is a – big arm and uh, the look of a, you know, a great body on the, on the mound, a major league pro ready guy, get him ready to have consistency. And so with the lack of consistency from Verhagen, um, I, I think they're going to give him a run. And, and that's the problem when you put Palante in the, the rotation, which is great. He's pitched well, pitched really well on Sunday against Boston, but you rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. So who's going to bridge the gap in Palante's spot uh, in the bullpen to get you to those big three and maybe it's Oviedo and maybe it's Zach Thompson. Who's another one that will, I think get more higher leverage situations. And in his limited time, he's, he's looked pretty good. I don't think they at this point would allow McFarland in some of those spots, unless guys are, are down and, and, and unavailable. And I think the same could be said for Verhagen and they've got to build back up some trust, but look for those two young guys, maybe to emerge in some of the, uh, the higher leverage situations to try to, bridge the gap to innings seven, eight, and nine. Dan, I mentioned this earlier today. I, I want to get your thoughts on it as well. I, when I look at him, I, you can see the stuff. Like it, it looks like it should be a good pitcher. You, you mentioned how just he looks the part, right? It, it kind of reminds me early on of Hennessy's Cabrera and how like he was a sure. quote-unquote failed starter, right? You could see the stuff was there, but he had a 6 ERA in Memphis in 2019. He came up, and you just didn't see the results that year in the big leagues. And then the next season, 2020, you see it's like, okay, yes, this is the reliever that he could become. Is there is there a similarity there with Johan Oviedo, potentially with his stuff playing up in the pin the way that Hennessy's Cabrera's did in 2020? Sure, I, I definitely think there is. And I, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, BK is that there are things that are not measurable, heart, guts, um, situations that all of a sudden that may jump not jump off a page because you can look at the numbers and spin rates and the various things that these guys possess but it, it, a lot of it depends on with young players putting him in and try to put them in positions to have success and then all of a sudden they feel like hey i can get guys out i can uh do this i, I belong in the big leagues and there is something to that for sure and for johan it's been a, a tough road i i think when you look at his career path in terms of Major League Baseball, it's been tough because he was thrust into 2020 when they just needed, you know, they hell they might have signed you and put you out there. Um, you know, they didn't they, want they to do that. No, Dan, Dan, please, no, Dan. We both know they didn't want to do that. <laughs> well, I did see you guys swinging the bat at uh, the Grizzlies game, so you're right. We would have gone to a different place probably to find somebody else. Dan, but... I hit the top of the wall in the outfield, though. <laughs> I did. BK didn't. Well, we need to get you in the gym. It needs to be over the wall. Yeah, there we I, go. I need to eat my Wheaties. That was from second base. Uh, of course. Um, so anyway, I, I think, you know, that that kind of piles on. You know, if you have success, you build on it, you feel like you belong. And if you don't, it's in the back of your mind like, man, what do I need to do? Am I doing things right? What can I do differently? All these different things that come uh, to the forefront. And I just think that 
it's been, in, in a way, kind of a tough career path for him because he's had plenty of chances. Don't get me wrong. He's had a bunch. But get a little success. Get a taste of that success. And then let's see what happens. And I think that's what happened with Cabrera. And it certainly could happen with Oviedo. Dan, sticking with the pitching, Jack Flaherty tonight, we saw that previous start, and it was kind of what I expected. I didn't expect him to be lights out from his first one. But what are you expecting just in terms of progress with this tonight and Jack Flaherty? Well, if things would go right, obviously more than three innings and you know pitch count would be up. I, I think you got to see him more competitive inside the zone. And part of that, you know, according to Jack, was that he was so amped up. And then you could see mechanically he wasn't quite right. And sometimes if you're not right mechanically, it drops velocity, and his velocity did drop by the, the second and the third inning that he was in there. So we're looking to, to see him keep the velocity as much as he can. And I always pay attention uh, with Jack with arm angle just to make sure that it's up and, and it looks right. You know, I was talking to Ollie when he threw his side session. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say side session. It was live hitters at Bush Stadium um, prior to his first start. And things were jumping off the page. You know, they're able to do those measurables um, of what it looks like and, and take a look at the numbers on the paper and, and everything was good. I mean, he was throwing mid nineties. He was above baseline stuff that uh, when he's healthy and right, uh, you know, in normal seasons, if he's healthy, he was actually up in certain areas above that. So it's there. Uh, I'm sure it's just a matter of maybe controlling some emotions and, and just getting back in the routine of pitching every fifth day. Dan, two things real quick uh, before we get you out of here, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. One, did you see O'Neill Cruz last night for the Pirates? Oh, I did. So, oh, yeah, I went back and watched some of that, yeah. What you think, and are we starting to see the Pirates, and obviously who knows what this looks like three years from now. We've been down this road before, but are they starting to come kind of out of the abyss and maybe by the end of the season they're going to start looking like more of a real team? Well, I would say, can they pitch? That would be my number one thing because obviously at the end of the day, it's wins and losses, right? Sure. I mean, if you're, you know, can you win games? Now, is this kid going to give you a jolt of energy? Sure. Um, I think the thing that I, if I was a Pirates fan, this would be my concern is that, okay, here we go. We got another guy that uh, is a great prospect. He comes up, he excites everybody. League will figure him out. And he's a big kid, six foot seven, and he's got he's prone to make errors defensively. You would think that would improve, but uh, there's excitement there. But the league will figure him out, and then he'll have to adjust, and vice versa, and so on and so forth. But then, when some of these guys begin to hit, and they do have other kids coming, will my ownership group step up to lock people up long term? So that left side of the infield should be there for years. Key Brian Hayes got the long term extension, but with this kid. If he goes gangbusters, you know, be willing to accept it long term. And I, I just think you have to have pieces in place that you say, we're going to build around this guy. We're going to build around this guy. We're going to build around our center fielder. And those are our pieces. Um, and that would always be in the back of my mind as a, a fan of the game with the Pirates. And I was a fan of the Pirates growing up. I love the Cardinals, but I, I just I love Tony Pena. So I used to follow the, the Pirates all the time. And, and seeing what they did in the, the 90s and then to have that long losing streak of just not being able to get over the hump of 500 when they had good players, making sure you sign the right guys long-term and making sure that they stay. Now, I think you're talking more about the immediate, and, and I think there is a chance. Like, David Bednar is really good, in my opinion. I, I think that's a guy that uh, if I was a team, I'd be calling every day. That in, in, if I was a team that had a chance to, to win – I'd be saying, can I, is Bednar available? And 
you know, if you keep that guy, that's somebody to build around. If you don't, then it's kind of like, okay, we're back to square one in the back end of our games, but we have O'Neill Cruz and we got, you know, this kid, and we got that kid, but are you going to keep these pieces in place to make sure that you win games? And I think that's the big question. Final thing, speaking of those long-term contracts, Dan, uh, we, we talked about this in our last segment because Ken Rosenthal had a report on what a Shohei Otani extension could look like for the Angels and why one hasn't been signed yet. He just has one year left on his contract next year where he'll be arbitration eligible. Rosenthal said he thinks it's going to take more than $43 million on an annual basis to re-sign Otani, which makes sense. He's an unbelievable position player, and oh, by the way, he's the ace of their staff. But, Dan, they already have $40 million committed over the next four years to Anthony Rendon, and they already have almost $40 million committed for like the next eight years to Mike Trout, which nobody's complaining about. He's awesome. Can you do that with three guys? And if not, are the Angels going to have to make a decision at some point between Trout and Otani long-term? Oh, I don't think Trout's going anywhere. Um, I, I think when you talk about a guy that's been there for over a decade now, I believe, or at least right at 10 years, and he's locked up long-term, and he's the, he is the face of that franchise, uh, I, I don't see that happening. And if they had to choose between the two, I'd also look at how a pitcher can regress or can have injury, and Otani's had some injuries along the way. And, and don't get me wrong, he's awesome. He's so much fun to watch. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it. Again, it all comes down to what an owner will pay, and I'm not in those shoes, and I never will. Um, and so are you willing to pay that kind of money and spend that kind of money um, like they did on Albert and like they've done on Trout and they've done on others? Um, you know, that's up to Artie Moreno. But, man, it's it's uh, it's it makes it tough to, to have a sustainable payroll for three guys making, you know, 35 to $40 million. Can it be done? Yes because then you have to draft and develop well and then have cost-controlled players. But, man, it, it does potentially hamstring you a little bit, unless you're Steve Cohen and you just say, hey, <laughs> I, I know I got, I'm got i going to get taxed and I don't care. So you I'm take it as a point of pride that they put a Steve Cohen tax in. <laughs> right. I mean, you know what I mean? They, they, that's, some owners will say that. Some owners will just say, you know, I don't care. And other owners will say, yeah, it's it's not in the budget and we're going to have to make some choices here and what we what we do. It would be fascinating is if, if they know that they are out of playoff contention and they know they're not going to sign them, what would that gather? Yeah. You know, that's the thing that uh, always comes to mind when I think about potential free agents, too, is where am I at? And, uh, you know, do I have a potential, a potential to get into uh, the playoffs? And the third wild card muddies that a little bit in a good way. It keeps your fan base engaged and it keeps a team having a chance to go on a run and get in. But, and he would have to be a big part of that, but it does kind of muddy the waters a little bit on, on what you're thinking. Yeah, we were talking about this in the last segment. Three guys that are like legitimate unicorns in baseball with Juan Soto, Aaron Judge, and Shohei Otani could be like realistically moved within the next couple of years. It's crazy. Dan, we yeah. appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the game tonight in Milwaukee. Flaherty on the mound should be a fun one for you guys. We'll talk with you again next week. Okay, buddy. Thanks. You got it. That's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, There's some breaking news in the NFL that I want to discuss on the other side. There's an update on the Deshaun Watson case and what that could mean for his future with the Browns. Lots going on in the NFL. We'll get to it all with some NFL quick hitters coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You heard it is wonderful.
full sports center update. The news of the day in the NFL is that Rob Gronkowski has announced his retirement. Okay. Kinda. For according to Adam Schefter, so we'll he talked week with four. Yeah, he talked with Drew Rosenhaus, and Drew Rosenhaus told him, quote, it would not surprise me if Tom Brady calls Rob at some point during the season and Rob decides to come back. This is just my opinion, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Rob come back during the re- during the regular season this year or at some point next year. Okay. So he'll take a year off to become a WWE no. champion yeah, again. Rob Gronkowski just doesn't want to do training camp. Like, that's what I this is. Him. I don't blame him either. No. I don't like extra extra exercise. It's not worth it. Yeah. I, it's Tampa Bay. I could avoid my run it's today. It's hot. I wouldn't sign Probably should go eat some like cookies or something. He oh. knows that the Bucks are going to be in contention at least this year to win the Super Bowl yeah, once again. For the Super Bowl. Julian Edelman's doing the exact same thing right now. He should come back after the bye. Week 12, they'll play. Ah, it's late November in Cleveland. Never mind. Come back in, on December 5th. That'll be his first game. Monday Night Football on ESPN against the New Orleans Saints. Finish out the year, play like six regular season games to get your legs underneath you, and then you're with them for the playoff run. That, that's what Rob's going to do. Rob's going to do what Rob wants to do. Absolutely. Rob he just wants to win a Super Bowl championship, play four weeks, and then take the rest of the year off and go win championships in wrestling. Yeah. Good for him. I like that plan. Rob knows what's up. He should be like my he was coach. more committed like Tom Brady is to where Tom just says, nope, I'm going to retire and then come back. <laughs> yeah, within a week. And then I'll be there for training camp. He spent a week with his family and decided, not for me. <laughs> going and then back saw a to video of Aaron Donald training with knives once went, again and said, oh, damn, again. I'm going back to retirement. And then got offered $37 million per year to do analyst jobs for Fox. So that's going to be wonderful. That's what Ryan Fitzpatrick just got paid. The other big news is that Sean Watson has settled 20 of the 24 cases, civil cases that have been filed against him. There are still four that are out there that are still against him. He's going to have to figure those ones out. But Alex, this is the next step, I suppose, in getting some sort of a resolution, right, wrong, or indifferent with Deshaun Watson. The NFL has said this has no effect whatsoever on their investigation. It does not change anything about the timeline for a potential um, suspension for Deshaun Watson. Do you think that this changes anything for the NFL's timeline? <laughs> no, because it's the NFL. I touche. I, I don't. I, I think that they're going to say they're going to do their own investigation. This is going to be handled in court like it is right now. And then the NFL is going to say we did our investigation and we found the same evidence that they did, blah, blah, blah. So everything's cleared, done for, and we're moving forward. If it was any other league than the NFL, I'd probably say I, I believe them. But since it's the NFL, no. And it's Deshaun Watson, which is a big name for the NFL. And now he's in Cleveland. No, I don't believe I don't him. think he plays this year. I, I'm kind of I think he plays, way. but I, I think he plays part of the season. I think I think he well, there was just the rumors that they were looking towards communicating with the NFL PA on what how to work out a year long suspension. So I think it is on the table that he does get handed down a year long suspension. Now, in terms of the timeline. I don't know when they'll hand down the suspension. I don't think it changes any of the timeline based on what came out today. Uh, but I am anticipating that it's going to be a year-long suspension, and we'll see if it gets held up when uh, Deshaun Watson, which I would assume would appeal that suspension. That's, so there's your big news in the NFL. Rob Gronkowski is retired for now. Deshaun Watson has settled 20 of the 24 
lawsuits against him. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers over at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Make sure you check out the app. If you haven't downloaded it already, make sure you do so. They've got Ryan O'Reilly signed jerseys over there. Uh, Jordan Bennington signed puck. A Traeger grill that you can win. $1,000 in cash price. It's all available for you over on the 101 ESPN app. A rolling cougar? Nope. Rolling cooler. You got to think about it there cooler. for a second, didn't it's you? It's available for you as well. It's all part of our app madness. We're trying to beat 105.7 The Point. Be sure to check that out over there. Also, we've got your chance right now and all week to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus the Marlins. Not That's coming up Tuesday. on June 28th. Next that is Tuesday. definitely a week from today. It's the next Budweiser Bash game of the 2022 season. It features a limited edition dual bobblehead giveaway, including John Stuper and Dave LaPointe. Get all the details at cardinals.com slash promotions or you can listen all week for the details of winning a four pack of tickets here's how you do it 65780 is the air comfort service text line if you are texting number 101 and you can tell me what alex ferrario lost over the weekend he told you what it was earlier today if you could tell me what alex ferrario lost over the weekend your texture number 101 seemed impossible at the time he found a way to do it you are going to win the four pack of tickets to next tuesday night's budweiser bash the bk and ferrario rewind is next we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to Grant, who had the text of the day, and it was number 101. Whoa. He won the four-pack of tickets to this Tuesday, next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Not Cardinals tonight, man. versus Marlins. Not tonight, Grant. It's next Tuesday. It's from Hillsboro. He's a... Let's go! Two back-to-back days of Jefferson County listeners. Congratulations Love to it. Jeffco. Let's keep going, boys so, and girls. Before we finish the show today, I wanted to talk about the positive from last night from the Cardinals game. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about because they got shut out. It didn't go well for uh, them offensively, and they lost a game in which, uh, you know, Miles Michaelis pitched well again. They did play really excellent defense behind him, though. I mean, whether it was a couple of plays in the outfield by Harrison Bader holding the runner at um, third, Nolan Arenado made a couple of just gems defensively last night, and then you also had Tommy Edmond that made a couple of plays at shortstop. Alex, every time I watch Tommy Edmond, I continue to be impressed by the transition that he has made from second base to shortstop and save your text. Yes, I understand he was a shortstop previously in the minors. I understand that he played that in college. I don't care. It's a really hard position to play at this level in the big leagues. And we did see him at times at third base early on in his career here in St. Louis. I didn't think he was great defensively over there. He was much better when they placed him at second. He's gotten better defensively. He's a tremendous player right now. But Derek Gould wrote this yesterday. I thought it was interesting. I wanted to hear your reaction to this, Alex. Yesterday, Tommy Edmonds surpassed Paul DeYoung in innings at shortstop for the Cardinals. Monday was his 23rd start at the position. That matches DeYoung's total so far this year as well. In 200 innings at shortstop, Paul DeYoung had a plus four in defensive runs saved. That was the most of any shortstop with fewer than 400 innings at the position this season. Edmundo Sosa also had a plus four at shortstop too. 
through his first 195 innings at the position, Edmond rather was a plus three. Last night, he at least saved one run, so he should at this point be at least tied with Paul DeYoung in terms of defensive runs saved at shortstop on the season. Guys, if you had to rank those three in terms of how they play exclusively on the defensive side of the ball at shortstop, how would you rank them? Edmund, Sosa, and Paul DeYoung. Edmund, DeYoung, Sosa. Sosa, in the short time we've seen him there, he's just, he's been good, but there have been moments that it's like, ooh, what's happening right now? I haven't had a lot of those in Paul DeYoung and, and Tommy Edmund. I, would, I haven't had any in Tommy Edmund. I agree. I I would probably go Edmund DeYoung and Sosa. I, I think that play in that last order? Yeah, I, I think that play last night where he's coming to his left, I think he got past the second base bag, does a complete spin and throws to first base. I'm not sure Paul DeYoung makes that play. And, and I don't think Sosa makes that play either. I, I, I think Tommy Edmonds just edging out Paul DeYoung defensively. And I thought DeYoung was really good defensively when he was up with the club this year. Man, that is crazy. That we are already at that place that Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung's a, a really solid defender at short. I know there were times last year where I, I said I disagreed with some of the metrics. I still do. I don't think he's an elite defender at short, but I think he's pretty good. And Sosa, I think, is pretty good there as well. For Tommy Edmond to already be, in our minds, and I agree with you guys, a better defensive player at shortstop. And of course he's a better hitter already, uh, at least in terms of what he's been consistently, than Paul DeYoung. That's, that's pretty amazing. We're talking about a guy that could realistically be a all-star caliber shortstop in his first year at the position in the should pros. be a damn all-star caliber. You know what frustrates me? The fact that he leads all players in war and a guy who hasn't played a game yet this season is right behind him in fifth place. Well, let's correct that. Let, let's start getting get a campaign out there, going. Cardinals fans. We'll get a campaign. Send going. Tommy. Where's the all-star game at LA. this year? Send Tommy to L.A. La La Land, the Hollywood, bright lights, big city. Tommy Edmond, send Tommy two bags home. Hashtag vote Tommy, baby. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The fast lane coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11, right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.